Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From his undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Just into the Denver 7 newsroom, just in the last 20 minutes, Denver 7 viewers sent us this video of what appears to show that off-duty FBI agent doing a backflip. And look at this. This is at Mile High Spears and Distillery in downtown Denver. His gun fell out of his holster. You see the flash from the gun go off. He goes to pick it up. Now, Denver police say they are working with the FBI to investigate this off-duty agent. A man was shot in the leg, but police say he should be fine. We'll have much more on this video and this story coming up tonight on Denver 7 News at 10. Unbelievable. And welcome back to Flavor Politic Podcast. It is the 7th of June, year of our Lord, 2018. And that, of course, was the FBI agent. Dis- negligent discharge, not an accidental discharge, at a nightclub with a gun. The fuck happened to the FBI? Good Lord. Some stuff up front before we head on in. Brian Schatz, something really is amiss here. They had former Senator Rick Santorum on TV today, but no elected Democrats. Bias! So somebody actually broke it down for him. Rick Santorum, Karen Jean-Pierre from MoveOn.org, Linda Chavez, author and commentator, served with two Republican presidents who were bashing him, Bakari Sellers, a total fucking loon. No currently elected Republicans and Democrats were part of the panel. For CNN, this is well well balanced because they didn't need them. They have the talking heads that tell them what to say. Then John or Jim Scuto, real Donald Trump, is smiling next to a man who ruins a gulag, jailing some, or runs a gulag, who jailing some two hundred thousand North Koreans and who oversaw the sinking of a South Korean Navy ship, killing forty six and the hacking of Sony North America. His other tweet: the call that changed half a century division. POTUS speaking with Raul Castro. Castro. Somebody also showed pictures of him with all sorts of bad people, and he never had a problem with it. Ever. Tony Pazetsky, dear NRA, I'm so proud today. I went to store, showed my ID, showed proof of residence, answered a few questions, had a small background check, and now I'm an owner of a children's Sudafed for my four-year-old daughter. If only you push those standards. Is that even remotely close? Come on, people. If you're going to make the argument, get the fuck out of here. I, of course, tweeted that fucking moron with, yeah, this is what we've been saying about voting, and you say it's racist to have an ID. So, is it racist to buy a gun? Hmm. Yeah. Somebody summed it up much much better. I don't blame you for lying. An anti-gun position sounds done when a company dumb when accompanied by facts and our last one is Stephen miller on the one hand the president disinvited the philadelphia eagles to the white house on the other hand he oversaw the a hurricane response that left nearly five thousand of our fellow citizens dead that tweet is still up then some have noted there are several critiques of the methodology of the harvard estimate which is quite a wide confidence interval other methods have found a death toll cluster around 1,000. Tweet still up. False tweet. Tweeted 22,000 times. Correct tweet. 46 times. The media is fucking horrible. 
Justice Anthony Kennedy, just three years after writing the decision that cleared the way for gay marriage nationwide, today coming down in favor of a baker in Colorado who refused to make a custom wedding cake for a same-sex couple. But the decision was narrow. It only applies to the baker in this case, Jack Phillips, and may not affect any future cases. The couple who brought the case and married in 2012 promised a continued fight. Today's decision means our fight against discrimination and unfair treatment will continue. We have always believed that in America you should not be turned away from a business open to the public because of who you are. The couple told CNN after the Supreme Court arguments in December that they first filed their complaint with the Colorado Civil Rights Commission in 2011 to take a stand. This case is about more than us, and it's not about cakes. It's about the right of gay people to receive equal service. Baker Jack Phillips was inside his cake shop today. His lawyer spoke on his behalf, saying Phillips celebrated the narrow ruling. The court's decision today makes very clear that the government must respect Jack Phillips' beliefs about marriage. If we want to have freedom for ourselves, we have to extend it to those with whom we disagree. The majority of justices focused their criticism on the Colorado Commission's animosity toward the Baker's religious beliefs. Justice Kennedy wrote, The Commission's hostility was inconsistent with the First Amendment's guarantee that our laws be applied in a manner that is neutral toward religion. And the opinion acknowledged that the issue is still unsettled when it comes to whether merchants may refuse certain services to gay couples on the basis of religion. The outcome of cases like this and other circumstances must await further elaboration in the courts all in the context of recognizing that these disputes must be resolved with tolerance, without undue disrespect to sincere religious beliefs, and without subjecting gay persons to indignities when they seek goods and services in an open market. The baker claimed he was not just an ordinary business person. He was an artist. He was like a painter or, or a sculptor or a poet. And it would violate the First Amendment if he were forced to create a cake like a novelist would be forced to write a novel. Let me explain. This is a case that drew the ire of the Trump administration as well as Attorney General Jeff Sessions. You might remember it was back last fall where an undocumented teen crossed the border. She was taken into federal custody at a detention center. And it was once she was in within custody in Texas that she learned that she was pregnant and she wanted to go through with an abortion. Well, the federal court in Texas allowed her to go through with that abortion. However, the Trump administration's Health and Human Services, they uh, operate the Office of Refugee Settlement. They basically said, we have a policy that we do not facilitate abortions. They refused to transport her to the abortion clinic. So this played out in the, in the federal courts within Texas, also in the appeals court. Both of those courts ruled that she could, in fact, go forward with an abortion. So in the meantime, the ACLU facilitated her to get that abortion, but 
the government still wanted to appeal further. They wanted to come here to the Supreme Court. And what really drew their ire was the fact that uh, the ACLU, they say, went forward with this so quickly, within hours of that appeals court granting this teen a right to an abortion, she got that abortion. And the government said it happened too fast. We didn't have time to appeal. So really, that was the only issue that came here to the Supreme Court. The government said, we want to appeal this, and we want you to overturn those lower court orders that allowed this abortion to go forward. So really, the damage was done here in the view of the government. The teen was able to go forward with this abortion, but what they wanted the Supreme Court to do was overturn those lower court opinions that allowed the abortion to go through. So that's exactly what the Supreme Court did. Oh my God, did we have gnashing of teeth over the Supreme Court this week. There's actually two we're going to cover. They're kind of interchanged because I think they're both good for normal Americans. Um, but up front, we had media malpractice on all levels. All over the place, especially with the word narrow. They used narrow. That the, the ruling was narrow. It, it didn't like say you can go out and be a uh, you know, as liberals would say, prejudiced or bias against people that are gay. It was the the scope of the ruling was narrow. But that's not how they used it. Almost every network, as we'll see, said it was a narrow ruling. And then they put in the front sentence a seven to two. And of course, everybody dogged them because it's like, okay, that's not narrow. Um, but they were doing it just to, once again, every headline has to be negative towards real rights. You know, you don't care about your rights. But Pope had a guy on Twitter, sorry. He kind of refines it so we can know what it really was about. Okay, by request, a mini masterpiece cake shop lost later. The hard question presented by the case was this. Did Colorado anti-discrimination law violate the baker's First Amendment right to extent it compelled him to create a cake for same-sake's wedding? The Supreme Court sided 7-2 to with the baker, but the court did so on much narrower grounds than the baker and advocates hoped for. The court did not resolve the conflict between the religious belief and the anti-discrimination law. In fact, the court expressly declined to resolve that. Instead, the court found that the question has to be resolved through a process of free of religious bias and animus violating the First Amendment, and that there the Colorado administrative procedure showed clear bias, clear bias. Put another way, the court said, however the question comes out, the decision makers can't get there through express hostility to religious beliefs. The court found that the Colorado administrative process showed just that anti-religious bias. There's an array of concurring and dissenting opinions that don't change the result, but that's the core opinion of the court. So the tension between anti-discrimination and the First Amendment is left for another day. But civil rights commissions can indulge in gratuitous anti-religious rhetoric in the process of weighing such claims. They said horrible shit. They're liberals. They're not judges, they're liberals. So right off the bat, the first headline CNN ran with was Supreme Court rules and narrow finding for Colorado Baker and same-sex wedding cake. After they got trashed, they changed it to Supreme Court rules for Colorado Baker and same-sex wedding cake. They were pissed, as you can hear in the soundbite. MSDNC never changed it. MSDNC, narrow ruling. Supreme Court gets victory to Baker, refused to make cake for gay wedding. 
In their article, the opinion did not address the larger question of whether businesses can refuse to serve gay and lesbian customers. But the opinion was a narrow one applying to the specific facts of the case only. It gave no hints to how the court might decide future cases involving florist bakers, photographs, and other business owners who have cited religious and free speech objections. In a 7-2 decision, the court said legal proceedings in Colorado had shown a hostility to the bakers' religious views. Monday's ruling was written by Justice Anthony Kelly. These disputes must be resolved with tolerance, without undue disrespect to sincere religious beliefs, and without subjecting gay persons to indignities when they seek goods and services in an open market. It goes on for a long time. Politico. Breaking. Supreme Court rules narrowly in favor of Colorado Baker and same-sex wedding case. And it goes on and on and on. They don't really explain it. And then they go to their airwaves and they pretty much lose their ever-loving minds. In other legal news, it's a bad day for gay rights in America and also for cake rights. Because this morning the Supreme Court ruled in favor of a Colorado baker who refused to bake a cake to celebrate the marriage of a same-sex couple. That is tough news. But to lighten the blow, the Supreme Court did send the gay couple a lovely cake. (laughs) The case centered around fundamentalist Christian baker Jack Phillips, seen here posing for his statue in the Museum of Intolerance. Phillips uh, evidently refused to bake uh, wedding cakes for any gay couples in violation of Colorado's civil rights law, but the Supreme Court found that the reason and motive for the baker's refusal were based on his sincere religious beliefs and convictions. Yes, it's all right there in the gospel. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, but if I catch you frosting a gay cake, you go to hell. (laughs) Meanwhile, what gospel is that? Which one? I didn't remember I that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. I don't know. Hello. Thanks to the new Supreme Court ruling, there's never been a better time to jump into the hetero pastry industry, which is why I opened Straight Cakes, where we guarantee all our cakes are straight, like the Bible intended. And how do you know our cakes are straight? Because every single cake features a guy doing it to a lady. Anniversary cake, guy doing it to a lady. Graduation cake, guy doing it to a lady. Grandma's birthday, old guy doing it to an old lady. We also have cupcakes with little guys doing it to little ladies. So come on down to Straight Cakes, where our motto is, no cake leaves the shop unless I'm aroused by it. I want to bring in MSNBC legal analyst Danny Savalos. Danny, Pete talked about this a bit. One and done, as he put it. What kind of broader national implications, if any, does this decision have? This decision isn't a surprise. An oral argument, the court indicated that it might be leaning towards the baker uh, in this case. We are waiting for reaction from the baker's attorneys, from this same-sex couple's attorneys as well. Do you believe that religious liberties advocates will try to run a victory lap here? It is a victory. It's a narrow victory for religious liberty. Well, this is an enormous defeat uh, for the gay rights movement because... Uh, the question now is, uh, what are the limits in terms of uh, religious people wh- when they're allowed to discriminate? Uh, I mean, here we have a uh, cake baker who says, I don't want to bake a wedding cake for, uh, for uh, a gay couple. Well, what about the restaurant owner who says, I don't want to seat 
a uh, gay couple because it violates my religious principles. What about the hotel owner who says, I don't want to rent a room to a gay couple because it violates my religious principles? This is certainly an invitation to people who discriminate against gay people from barring them from their businesses. I mean, you do have um, the um, uh, religious conviction of the baker, which no doubt was sincere, but we also have a principle of religious discrimination, I mean, of, of discrimination against gay people. And again, you have to search for the limiting principle. There are religions that hold that uh, interracial marriages are, are a violation of God's law. So, so can you refuse to bake a cake for an interracial couple? Can you refuse to bake a cake for uh, two people of different religions who are marrying each other? Does this mean that any baker or any company could just refuse services to a gay couple on religious grounds now? Jack, some people may look and they, they might think, wow, you know, I think this guy is discriminating. Fifty years ago, it was interracial marriage. You couldn't go in and some people wouldn't give you goods or services. And now this guy is doing that. What's your reaction to that? Did you hear it there? It's Trump's fault was a CNN panel, which doesn't surprise me because that's everything for them. It's always Trump's fault. Always. And, you know, the problem with this is nobody really wants to get down into the mud on this and realize these people are doing it on purpose, okay? On purpose. And even when NBC interviewed this guy he was a fucking racist if you heard it in there just a racist he's a piece of shit and one of his statements he's he had said a supreme court ruling in favor would declare the to the world that my faith is not a scarlet letter and that's the world we live in in the united states today if you're christian you're a piece of fucking shit obama saw to it because he made sure that every fucking terrorist attack he brought up the Crusades, you know, thousands, a thousand years ago was something that stuck with him. It needs to be talked about. Because he hates Christians. Even the Christian liberals I know hate Christians. So, Ali Beth Stuckey starts other response. Sorry, I'm having freaking computer issues today. What the fuck? Let me, uh, pause for the cause, put down something. I, I'm using a mouse today and, Unfortunately, it does not like my desk for shit. What's interesting to know in the SCOTUS Masterpiece Cake Shop is the utter and un- unconstitutional contempt Colorado showed towards Phillips for genuinely living out his faith. It was his open hostility that SCOTUS took issue with. Um, that consideration was compromised, however, by the commission's treatment of Phillips' case, which showed elements of a clear and impermissible hostility towards a sincere religious belief motivating its objective. As the record shows, some of the commissioners of the commissioner's formal public hearing endorsed the view that religious beliefs cannot legitimately be carried into the public sphere or commercial domain or disparage Phillips' face as despicable and characterized it as merely rhetorical and compared his invocation of sincere-held religious belief to defense of slavery and the Holocaust. The comments thus cast doubt on the fairness and impartiality of the commission's education of Phillips' case. The Holocaust. That's what they have on their mind. It's always Nazis, Jewish people, the Holocaust. They can't get it off their fucking head. 
So a person who doesn't want to make a cake for a gay person is this is tantamount to exterminating six million Jews. Okay, he's Adolf Hitler, and that's a law. A person that's a legal person. These commissioners, that's what they went with. And the media won't talk about it. They they don't want to get that out because it's what they believe. It's like deplorables. Got to bury that shit. Can't have the deplorable out there because that's what we really believe. That's what we talk about in our cocktail parties. So it's the tantamount to that. Slavery. Yeah, I don't want to bake a cake is the same as owning slaves. Wow. Another Twitter. The U.S. Supreme Court has delivered a major blow to gay rights advocates, ruling that Colorado baker may refuse baked cakes. Not true. Justin, Supreme Court rules a Colorado baker wouldn't make Supreme Court same-sex wedding from Fox. They just put it that way. They didn't taint it, didn't do anything. But ABC, Supreme Court sides with Baker refused to make wedding cake for gay couple. HuffPo went all in. Supreme Court sides with Baker, refused to make gay couple's wedding cake. Baker Jack Phillips rebuffed David Mullins and Charlie Craig in 2012. The U.S. Supreme Court on Monday handed a narrow victory. They got to make sure they do that. So media and celebs slam SCOTUS. Cake ruling abolished the Supreme Court was actually somebody, somebody said that. We'll get to it. Progressives in the media have no respect for the traditions and structure of the branches of government. As soon as the issue, one issue, a decision based on anything but liberal ideology, the world is over. After the Supreme Court released their decisions in this case in favor of the baker, Jack Phillips, the media went on a rampage. Liberal book publisher Haymarket Books tweeted out on its verified account almost immediately, abolish the Supreme Court. Rosie O'Donnell wanted to take a different approach. She tweeted, when Trump is done, every judge he installed must be removed, starting with Gorsh. She still can't get over that. Um, uh, Gorsh concurred with the majority opinion, but so did Obama appointee Kagan and swing vote Anthony Kennedy. Meanwhile, actress Dana Delaney, Justice Merrick Garland is what she tweeted. She still can't get off it. Seth MacFarlane tweeted, a statement that made major exaggerations and showed a fundamental misunderstanding that judgment of the case. He said, here's one of the many problems with Monday's myopic Supreme Court ruling, religious freedom. It's a shorter walk than we think, particularly today from I won't bake them a cake because they're gay to I won't seat him there because he's black. And that's not even the same fucking thing. Um, those who balk at the comparison may wish to remind themselves that religion was deployed to justify far worse treatment not so very long ago. Only a fool would ignore the reality that religion could be and often has been used to absolve any number of unjust enterprises. See, it's always go back to the Crusades. Yeah. Jenny Trout tweeted, Do not frame this SCOTUS ruling as a humble baker being forced to defend Jesus from the evil gaze. He broke the law and he decided to appeal. Right-wing conservative Christian extremists are the ones who took it this far. But actually, Phillips didn't break the law at the time. In 2012, gay marriage was still considered illegal in the state of Colorado, so her point is invalid. 
Eric Renner Brown tweeted, evil afoot the Supreme Court this morning. A useful reminder that when the left regains power, immediate judiciary reform is imperative. Americans don't have a generation to spare waiting to, for these retrograde ghouls to run out of their lifetime appointments. That's what they said. Another case that happened at the same time, a new Supreme Court action could potentially prevent future abortions. So, of course, feminist writers are calling it absolutely tragic. This one, the United States released an unsigned per curum, our unanimous decision erasing a lower court ruling that allowed Jay Doe, a 17-year-old immigrant, to enter the country illegally to obtain an abortion, to move the move represents a partial win for the Trump administration, which argued against the abortion. They lost twice. Unanimous decision. That means liberals did it. So, on both of them, the ranker was insane. Breaking justice... SCOTUS just threw out a lower court decision that allowed an undocumented immigrant to obtain abortion, and you, an, an you, ominous ruling that shows the court has little regard for reproductive or immigrant immigrant rights. This wouldn't be a case of you guys weren't pushing it. You're pushing to get these people abortions because you want to kill every baby on the fucking planet, and nobody has to do that for an undocumented immigrant. Other than California, nobody wants to give them free health care for life. Uh, this, her next tweet, this is a, once again, a feminazi. SCOTUS essentially just wiped out the legal precedence that pregnant people in custody have a constitutional right to an abortion, and this likely will not stop at undocumented immigrants or people in custody. This is a wide-ranging negative implication for everyone. No, it doesn't. Adrian Masha Verinsky, Supreme Court just side with Trump in the case of Jane Doe, an undocumented immigrant teen who the government prevented from getting an abortion. This is absolutely tragic, tragic that a baby can't die. Hmm. Okay. Are you kidding me, Donnie? It's cool to jail immigrant women when they try to get an abortion. God forbid they have their own rights over their own bodies. The Trump administration doesn't want immigrants. They should get the dick get to dictate what choice they make either. And CNN. Supreme Court wipes away lower court ruling. Granted, undocumented teen access to abortion. Yeah. They they had a big problem with this. They, they, they did not like this court ruling, but I played it up front. It was huge. It was bigger, really, than the first one. Because abortion is more important than gays on the social justice warrior tote board. I mean, seriously. Life news. Supreme Court throws out ruling forcing Trump administration to help illegal immigrants get abortion. The decision is small but important victory for unborn babies in America because it eliminates a court precedence that's sided with radical abortion activists. And I read that because you never hear the other side, you know, the pro-life. The ACLU sued on behalf of the teen, and after a series of appeals by the U.S. government, the ACLU 
The pro-abortion legal gap group won in federal appeals court. The teen aborted her unborn baby the next day. Planned Parenthood, NARAL, and other abortion activists celebrated the news of the unborn baby's abortion death. Do we remember that case? So that's why this case went to the Supreme Court. They had to hear it. You're pushing it. And once again, all this goes down to liberals. I'm sorry. I can see it no other way. The gay cake shit wouldn't be a cause if you didn't go to places that are saying, hey, we're Christians. But you purposely go there to still push the point, you must accept my life. No, I don't have to accept your life. That's like me and my wife walking into your business and fucking on a table. Nobody wants to see old fucking people fuck. Oh, you're not accepting my life. I have rights. No. No, I don't. Not in your business. It's a business. I'm all for, you don't want to serve people, you don't serve people. It's like in here there's a tweet about, I'm just going to make gay cakes. I shot back, have fun with that 7% of the population. Because that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about a whole lot of people here. They make it like everybody's gay. We talk about it on the show all the time. Hollywood makes everybody's fucking gay. Everybody's gay. Everybody's transgender. No, they're not. 5.7%, 0. 0.7%. 0.7% of the country has gender dysphobia. And as I always say, if they really cared about a minority, go for the guys who fought in this war. Because in the 17 years we've been fighting, or 18 years, 0.03% of the country has fought in that. That's very small. We should have some kind of court ruling for us. We should have some group, some PACs. Oh, yeah. Gavin Newsom, who wants to run for governor, what connects every one of us to desire to love and be loved for a business to deny you something as simple as a cake because you love someone of the same sex is wrong. This is a move backward and a move toward discrimination, hatred, and inequality. Ben Shapiro says what I would have said. Why don't you love religious people enough to allow them to disagree with you without government compulsion? Why? Why do you hate Christians so bad, liberals? I mean, we talk about all the other hate groups, but we don't talk about this hate group. It's a party. It's a major party in our politics. The Democratic National Committee hates Christians on a level that's unbelievable. If they're not bashing Christmas, they're bashing something else. Nick Pappas, remember everyone, if you have a sincere held religious belief against someone wearing a mega hat, you no longer have to provide service to them. Anyone who has a problem with that should be against the Supreme Court ruling today. It works both ways. That's a shitty comparison. Miss Betty Flowers, in Trump's America, you can be forced to deliver a wedding cake just a rapist baby. That was all over the place. I don't even know what that means. We don't know anything about Heather Whaley, other than she's a blue check from Twitter, probably from writing Eat Your Feelings Recipes for Self-Loathing, and her bio says she blocked the NRA. What we do know about Whaley is she's got a great idea, although we're pretty sure it's not entirely original. Following Monday's scholarly ruling, she's going to open a gays-only cake shop. I'm going to open a cake shop that only makes cakes for gays. This will also be the best TLC show of all time. Skoda's fine. You'll have a very limited client base, but they'll be loyal. That's okay. It's a free country. And rather than have a huge fit over fact they won't bake me a cake, I'll quietly go elsewhere. Gee, what's so hard? Between all the people tell me that this isn't legal, that no bank will give me a loan, that I won't be enough, have enough customers, and what a bad business idea this is, how will I know if someone's gay? Now, I think I really do want to open a cake shop that caters to gay people only. 
Matt, uh, another blue check. A solid Supreme Court consensus declined to bake a cake for same-sex wedding is not, in fact, comparable to the Holocaust. Camelia Harris, no business should be allowed to discriminate. They're not. They're not discriminating. They're putting their fucking First Amendment rights. Dr. Willie Parker, a bigoted couple prevailed legally, but we all lost today because LGBTQ human rights beings were denied dignity and respect. For those of you unfamiliar with Mr. Parker, he's a proud late-term abortionist. Yeah, It all goes together. And our news of social media nuggets, there's actually an article how gays and Muslims go hand in hand. Totally ignoring the fact they throw people off a roof. So as we finish this gnashing of teeth, and this is going to be a short podcast today because I got shit to do. I got to go have a date with this hot chick today. Um, I, I just want to make sure you know you never see this. So we're going to play a soundbite, and we're going to go into the next awesome, delicious, it's like the relish on top of a hot dog, uh, Bill Clinton's food pop this week. Uh, Stephen Crowder's had this on his website forever. I've seen more than a dozen of these, but the media never cares. And this is a Muslim bakery refusing gays. And for some reason, gays don't go to the Supreme Court on this. They don't go crazy about it. You don't see it on MSDNC. There's no articles on HuffPo. For some reason, it doesn't matter because, oh, it's not about religion. It's about Christians. They just don't like Christians. So the Muslims, they can do whatever they want. Oh, I don't, okay, well, let's even say no picture, but you can write on it, Ben loves yeah, Stephen yeah, forever, yeah, yeah. and have our hands yeah. maybe holding. So you've no doubt heard of the controversy of some states passing laws to protect religious freedoms. Not funny, haha, funny queer. Mm-hmm. But many of you probably read about it from places like this. But that is not what's happening here. See, these laws are allowing businesses to maintain their private right of refusal to be involved with certain activities. Like, say, baking a gay wedding cake. Which tastes fabulous! By the way, to those of you wondering, yes, you are still killed in virtually every Muslim country for being gay. The media is deliberately trying to set the narrative of mean, hateful Christians versus poor, innocent gay people who are having their rights completely trampled. Yep, gays are still hanged in Iran. Let's say you're a baker and a gay person walks in and wants a birthday cake. Fine, no problem, happy birthday. Now, if they want to force that baker to make an expressly gay wedding cake, the baker has the right to not be involved with that particular activity. Do not compare this to civil rights. No, oh, yeah, gays are still killed across the Middle East in record numbers daily. Another example, if I'm a baker and Kanye West comes in, says he wants a wedding cake. To not serve him simply because he's black or an idiot would be illegal. Now, if Kanye comes in and says he wants a wedding cake with his lyrics, gold digger broke written across the front of it, I can say, oh, I'm not quite comfortable with creating this cake and there's a shop down the street that might be more suitable for you. These laws are not about protecting discrimination against people, but the right of businesses to choose their level of engagement in a specific activity. Speaking of Islam's hatred of gay people, what do you think would happen if we went into a Muslim bakery and asked for a gay wedding cake? No need to wonder, we did it for you. What's really important is getting the picture and the writing. So it's going to be me and Benny. Well, you have pictures there. No, I'm machine. You have in the program. 
good job. In Kroger? Yeah. Like the grocery store? No. And uh, I wanted to say Ben and Steven Forever on the top. And then on the bottom it'll say, um, same sex, legal now, congratulations. But everyone keeps sending me somewhere else. They said this is no, what you do here. No, I don't want it. <laughs> oh, I don't, okay, well let's even say no picture, but you can write on it, Ben loves yeah, Steven yeah, forever. Yeah, yeah. And have our hands, yeah. maybe holding. No. But we want at least the writing, you know, so, you know, groom and groom, yeah. there's two grooms. Wedding? Yeah, a wedding. Um, wedding is for uh, what's the, two people getting married. But just the writing, you don't need the machine. You can do the writing, Ben loves Steven forever. Yeah. Groom and groom. Yeah. You can do that. No, only all of these places did do custom wedding cakes. That's their business. It's kind of what they do. Of course, many of the Muslim bakeries were kind enough and willing to serve us. But many of them were not. For Christians, it only took one lawsuit. Yet the media never acknowledges the giant burkad elephant in the room. And liberals say, you're just fear-mongering. You really think the rights of Christians would ever be taken away? What about when that's exactly what's happened in places like Canada, like this pastor in 2007 who was found guilty of hate speech and banned from public speaking until he had to file an appeal? Or the fact that millions of Christians now have to participate in what they believe to be murder? Or how about this situation where gay men wanted to ban this chaplain from the Navy simply for his views on marriage? Though, to be fair, chaplain... Know your audience. By the way, I'm not even saying that these Muslim bakeries shouldn't have the right to do what they did. They absolutely should, and many more of them would than Christian bakeries. That's why most gay people probably don't go into Muslim bakeries, and I felt like they were going to blow me up when I was there. And that's the issue. Roll the clip. The burden placed upon these same-sex couples is they go to another vendor and they get the service they ask for. Nobody's ever had well, problems. Why don't the, the photographers just the not go into business? The if you don't want to treat everybody the same way, then don't go into business. See, when this guy says, well, then maybe the photographer shouldn't go into business, it's very important to know what he's saying. It's pivotal. It is absolutely key because what he is saying is unless you agree with me and my worldview 100%, I should have the ability to ensure that you can't do business, that you can't make a living. It's the legal version of the cultural Marxism that is political correctness. You only speak the way we allow you to speak, or you're not allowed to speak. Does that sound like freedom to you? Let me know below. Do you honestly believe that this is a dialogue of mere hate versus love? Or do you think that religious freedoms come into play at all? Let me know. And what of the Muslims? Because when it comes to gayness, they've made their stance quite clear. But everyone keeps sending me somewhere else. They said this is no, what you do here. No, I don't want it. If you like this video, subscribe by clicking my face or watching this previous video here. It's free, and if you don't, a gay man's going to be hung in Iran. Not because you didn't, just because that's what they do. If you were president now, in 2018, with, with everything that's, that's going on with the Me Too movement, how would you have approached the accusations differently well i don't think it would be an issue because people would be using the facts instead of the imagined facts did you ever apologize no, to and no yes and nobody believes that i got out of that for free 
I left the White House $16 million in debt. But you typically have ignored gaping facts in describing this, and I bet you don't even know them. This was litigated 20 years ago. Two-thirds of the American people sided with me. You are giving one side and omitting facts. Mr. President, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to present a side. And you don't think a private apology is owed? I think this thing has been, it's 20 years ago. Come on. Let's talk about JFK. Let's talk about, you know, LBJ. Stop already. I don't think President, you think President Kennedy should have resigned? Do you believe President Johnson should have resigned? Uh, Someone should ask you these questions because of the way you formulate the questions. I dealt with it 20 years ago plus, and the American people, two-thirds of them, stayed with me. Let's bring in USA Today Washington Bureau Chief Susan Page. Susan, you also sat down with President Clinton, and we've both seen how angry he can get when he's challenged. So after 20 years, the fact that President Clinton does not have a ready answer to what is not a question that should be completely unexpected at this point um, is surprising to me. And it's, it's, I think, a sign that it's, it's one of the reasons that some Democrats are reluctant to have him out on the trail with him, because standards have changed in terms of consensual sexual relations between people with very different power situations. And uh, he seemed unable to acknowledge that in a graceful way and, in fact, got pretty angry. He's going to doing this big book tour. This is going to come up again. People don't want to loathe Bill Clinton. They don't right, want to loathe right, Bill Clinton. Right, right. But he spent the first half of that interview trying to make them. Right. It's not me. Poor me. I was in debt. I don't owe her an apology. Um, well, then he wasn't what about even, Trump? Right. Uh, like, take responsibility, exactly. because let's not forget it wasn't just Monica Lewinsky. Right. He was right. accused of rape. Rape by Juanita Broderick, who had two witnesses who claimed to have seen her moments after it happened in a hotel room and testified Kathleen to Willie, her. Kathleen uh, Willie, who claimed she was harassed by him in, their, yeah. in, in his uh, mm -hmm. office. And Paula Jones, with whom, to whom he paid $850,000 right. after she alleged that he exposed himself, exposed himself yes. in, in a hotel room. So I uh, just saw the interview that I've always wanted to see with Bill Clinton, thanks to Craig Melvin. That's the interview I think we've been waiting decades for. This is one of the key reasons why we have Trump today. That story, that president, his misdeeds, his mistakes with women, his abuse of power, and then his wife running for president and not facing what happened. And the continued abuse that happened under him and the example he set for America's children about what is is. So my thanks to Craig Melvin. Bill Clinton's 20-year-old impeachment drama is getting a new public hearing in light of the push against sexual misconduct. The former president is starting a book tour, and on it, he is facing repeated questions about his White House affair with Monica Lewinsky and whether he properly apologized for it. Biana Golodriga is here with Mr. Clinton's attempt to clarify his response. Biana, good morning. Good morning. He became quite testy in that interview. Questions about former President Bill Clinton's conduct in the 1990s have taken over a media tour intended to promote his new political thriller. The questions come amidst the worldwide Me Too movement and ask whether the former president should also be remembered as a man who abused his power. I did not have sexual relations with that woman. With that one statement about his relationship with White House intern Monica Lewinsky, President Bill Clinton set off a scandal that still follows him today. I, feel like I, thought, it, no, 
I do. I I I do not. I've never talked to her, but I did say publicly on more than one occasion that I was sorry. That's very different. The apology was public. Not good. No, I think he um, he made a mistake there that he doesn't make that often, and it's 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 one that we see in our current president doing all the time, which is not separating the two things. He was treated unfairly by the Republicans. It was a partisan uh, attack to, to remove him from office. Newt Gingrich famously said, when asked why are you doing this, his answer was because we can. But he conflated that with the underlying thing that he did apologize for at the time. And in doing that, he undermined uh, the apology. And it was a mistake. And I think he did try uh, to clean it up a little bit later in the day. I was shocked that he was not prepared for that question. Yeah. And maybe that's him thinking he's prepared. It is, it is such an easy answer. I've lived with this, with this regret every single day of my life. I have, I am sorry for Monica Lewinsky and her family. And if I, if she is listening right now, I want to apologize to her and I would love to reach out to her, but I was, I haven't done it out of respect or something. He should have reached out to her, but it's, it's so easy to answer that question. Again, I think, uh, you know, as we've talked about, um, that answer is diametrically opposed to, at the time, what the president did as president, which was not focus on himself, not focus on the victimization of the president, and focus on the, the country's work. And you can see why, you know, when, when, when the answer comes out that way, yeah. it's not effective at all. That's why I was, so st I was just stunned by it. So you were stunned by it as well. But yeah. I, I want you this is what he said, his clarification tonight. Huh. And then I'll get your response, Frank. Here he is. The truth is, the hubbub was I got hot under the collar because of the way the questions were asked. And I think what was lost are the two points that I made that are important to me. The suggestion was that I never apologized for what caused all the trouble for me 20 years ago. So first point is, I did. I meant it then and I meant it now. I apologize to my family, to Monica Lewinsky and her family, and to the American people. Before a panel of ministers in the White House, which was widely reported. So I was, I did that. I meant it then, and I mean it today. I live with it all the time. The second is that I support the Me Too movement, and I think it's long overdue. And I have always tried to support it in the decisions and policies that I've advanced. Is that clarification enough? I mean, he cleaned it up a little, but you know what I heard in that that I also heard a lot in the interview? I heard a lot of I, 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 me, I. Me, and the me. question is about someone who was a 21-year-old White House intern at the time. I found that to be a stunning interview because, let us I mean, he attacked the reporter, right? He cited public opinion polls. Two-thirds of Americans were with me. And he had a little self-pity party. Who does that remind you of, Don? Donald Trump. Yeah, I don't need to be reminded of Donald Trump by a president whom I, whom I have much more respect for. Yeah. We, we have two living presidents who have been investigated for obstruction of justice. Both have also been accused of sexual misconduct by multiple women. Bill Clinton and Donald Trump, are they more alike than both Democrats and Republicans would like to admit? 
It's really interesting. I mean, I think Clinton, I recognize when he's like, he was tired and off his game, but he also missed the basic lesson of the Me Too movement. You know, oh, I had two women chiefs of staff in when I was attorney general. It's kind of like Harvey Weinstein gave a lot of money to uh, to women's causes. It just misses the point of the real the real uh, sin. But I actually I, I hear the the similarities from Frank and others, but I see a kind of contrast here. Uh, to me, um, Clinton was caught off guard and was a little bit. Uh, trying to have it both ways in the way he sometimes does was sort of talking in half measures and you compare that to the pedal to the metal total sense of a grievance and defiance that you get from from Trump who all his supporters know for example that of course he had sexual relations with multiple women but he's chosen to play it in such a pugnacious way that he has kind of retained his base and you you wonder if that if that is uh more effective neither is a great model for uh american youth or america but i was struck that clinton tried to tiptoe a little where um, uh, Trump has been a real bull about it and has in some way succeeded on his terms. Joe, I know you want to respond. Go ahead. Yeah, I, listen, I don't disagree that it was not a good interview and it was not a good performance and, and that, that he messed up. But the comparison falls here, which is the president felt very strongly at the time that he was being unfairly treated. He never fired an FBI director. He never publicly shamed his uh, attorney general. He never ridiculed the entire intelligence community. He never tried to undermine vast swaths of the government in order to protect himself. He did just the opposite. He kept his mouth shut mm. and he went about doing his job. So I don't think the comparisons hold up. Let me just push back just a little bit. I and do more than that. You don't only, that no. I do agree with you, Joe, that when it came to the investigation, Bill Clinton has did conduct himself more honorably. But I can't forget about things like, you know, bimbo eruptions. James uh, Carville saying, well, if you drag a dollar through a trailer park, who knows what you'll find? Hillary Clinton uh, dismissing questions of the vast right wing conspiracy. And so I do think some of the precedent that happened with denying these accusations from women during the Clinton administration did provide some of the framework that's being used today. Mm -hmm. uh, go ahead. Don, so. can I make a quick point? Yeah. Just I, In general, look, both Nixon and Clinton felt constrained by a sense of the dignity and the importance of the institution of the office. Trump has zero of that, besides agreeing with the whole litany uh, of the of the, the the you know really singular sins he's committed, he has shown in this whole approach no uh, in, at respect at all or worry about the the status of the presidency. But even Nixon and certainly Clinton were different. Yeah, this is this isn't good shit. This is I used to have a segment in the beginning of the podcast called Blue All Blue Crime. It was really stupid bumper and. I got rid of it, but this is a perfect blue on blue crime. The Hill, Bill Clinton, I couldn't be elected now because I don't like embarrassing people the way Trump does. No, you just embarrass yourself because you couldn't keep in, it in your pants in the Oval Office. And that pretty much sums up this segment of the Me Too jerk-off. Comfortably smug, right now the, D, the DNC is having an emergency conference call with Hardwood and Hardwood and Seltzer about pushing the Melania was abducted by alien story. Hard to give Bill some air cover. Yeah. Brian Seltzer dropped the act. 
Oh, we're going to get to that. Yeah, that was actually a story this week. But here are examples. John Harwood. Perhaps any of us with the experience in political life of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton would feel the same suspicion, anger, bitterness towards the media. In any case, it contributed to her 2016 defeat for the presidency. Somebody wrote, what a fawning defense. Oh, you feel bad, John? How could the media get any better for her? They promoted her from 2012 on. Once Obama won, they promoted her. Another one. In an ironic way, Bill Clinton paved the way for our current POTUS. I was there in 1998 working on the Hill. The star report was horrific. Clinton lied and shamed his country greatly. He sent the moral bar for President Lowe. You asked me why Hillary lost? Bill Clinton was a big part of it. People simply did not want to go back to the 90s in the Clinton scandal area. And I agree with that. I think that was a part of this whole process. David Briggs. For those that say the MSM is easy on the Clintons, watch this interview. He actually believes that. Yeah, it just took fucking 20 years, everybody said. Media wants the credit for asking the question that should have been asked 20 years ago. So brave. Uh, Rose McGowan was the only one that took it to him. Bill Clinton, here is the truth of it. A human life was altered or destroyed due to your selfishness because you could. You not only wiped your semen on the young girl's dress, you left a stain on society. You actually owe everyone an apology, especially her. And it's true. This was all because of a book tour, which MSDNC's Nicole Wallace never talked about his statement, but talked about how great his book was. And the first person he killed off in that book was the first lady, which I thought was kind of funny. So here's some more sound bites. Then we're going to go into another story that we talked about last time, the HuffPo doxing. As for the investigation led by Robert Mueller swirling around the current commander-in-chief... We now call it Spygate. Do you think that the press has been fair to President Trump? I think they have tried, by and large, to cover this investigation based on the facts. I think if the roles were reversed, now this is me just talking about it based on my experience. If there were a Democratic president and these facts were present, most people I know in Washington believe impeachment hearings would have begun already. If, and, if, if and, there were a Democrat in power yes. right now. And most people I know believe that the press would have been that hard or harder. But these are serious issues. You hear from Trump supporters who say, you know, the press slobbered all over President Obama. He could do no wrong. And now this guy can do no right. What gives? That there's a kind of whiplash. Well, there is. they did treat him differently uh, than other Democrats and Republicans because they... Why? It was the political press. Uh, I, you know, I don't know. They liked him. And they liked having the first African-American president. And he was a good president, I think. I don't agree with President Trump's assessment of his service. So in our last podcast, we talked about the HuffPo doxing. And I want you to know how mainstream this is becoming for liberals. If you don't sing their tune and you're private citizens, just like the old lady for CNN, et cetera, et cetera, the guy with the damn WWE gif, they're going to take you out. 
Soledano Brian. Fascinating digging to a crazy troll and racist Amy Mack, whose real name is apparently Amy Jane Mecklenburg, and whose husband used to be a WWE executive. Worthwhile read. Jim Dandy. The Amy person tweet things that objected to politically. So a story was written. Her boss employer was called twice until the employer fired her husband, all to expose an anonymous Twitter person they didn't like. And I want that to sit. That's how far they've taken it. That's how far we've taken it now. If they don't like your opinion, they go out to me. I have actually been doing some nasty tweets every once in a while. Not nasty, not cursing and stuff. Not, not you know, the liberal standard, Keith Oberman. I, I'm just saying you're a fucking hypocrite. And saying, go ahead and dox me. I don't have a job. You're, you're not going to hurt me. But that's how far the left has taken it. HuffPo, CNN. They're no longer just going after politicians. They're going after private citizens who give them a hard time, usually saying the truth. Thomas Crown had a good tweet screen. I want to read. It's a little long, but it's good. The problem with journalistic doxing that media figures only sort of understand is that they can take advantage of superior capital and relatively privileged place in society to engage in activism that can destroy lives. But the barriers to entry have shrunk. It is not hard to find a lot of journalists' spouses and lives in general because they live prominent lives. This journalist works for ABC. His wife is an Obama staffer. This journalist works for NPR. Her two husbands work for SKDK. Knickerbocker, etc. But where they live, where they vacation, where they send their kids to school, their parents' names, etc., is slightly less accessible to a single individual with a job or a life or even other things to do. There is an enormous amount of data out there that is right in the public square, but it's buried by all the other information. Private investigators make bling in no small part on their ability to shift this data. But a lot of people with varying amount of time on their hands can do a lot of work very quickly. Right now, We have social bias greater than the legal one that protects journalists from the negative consequences of their publications. As it stands, journalists not only enjoy a high bar to prosecution and suit for the publication, they enjoy a social taboo against basically having their own tools turned on them. In the last 50 years, have taught us anything, is that a taboo can be destroyed with determination, effort, and greater and greater speeds. Journalists have happened on the fast way fastest way I can identify to drive America to say, no, please, Rando, with the webpage, tell us about this journalist's family so we can complain every time he writes a bad article. A lot of journalists are weirdo, weirdos, the childless kind, the unmarried kind, or both, but they will not all stay as such forever. Internet grudges, however, are forever. Nothing I see here, indeed, anywhere outside a courtroom matters much, so I'm mostly just laying down a marker for my future depression when some lady at NPR is weeping because some group of crazies published her kid's school bus schedule. I will say this. The last few years have convinced me more than ever that social norms are the most powerful and at the same time the most delicate things in the world, and we are hurting ourselves by tearing them asunder. It's true. And their hate of Trump, HuffPo, ruined an entire family for one person's tweet. Luke O'Brien attack on Amy Mecklenburg's family is part of a growing trend in left-wing press to go after ordinary people for the views of others. They ruined her. They ruined her. 
I mean, her whole life is over because they didn't like her opinion. In the article, this guy wrote, Kevin Boyd, this has been a banner week for the media. First, the New York Times is forced to correct his estimate of the crowd size of President Trump's rally. The MSC, MSDNC Joy Reid was discovered and published 9-11 conspiracies and anti-Semitic posts on her blog. But the icing on the cake goes to HuffPo. It doxed a private citizen on Twitter and six social media mobs on her family. HuffPo reporter Luke O'Brien wrote a story about the Twitter user Amy Mech, who we identified as Amy Jane Mecklenburg. Mecklenburg has more than 200,000 followers on Twitter and has been retweeted by Trump and former National Security Advisor Flynn. She's a prolific tweeter, sending out as many as 25 tweets a day. Mecklenburg has tweeted a lot of disgusting and hateful things on her account. Most of the hate was targeted towards Muslims. She's accused Muslims of everything from child rape to engage in stealth campaign to bring Sharia law to the West. Mecklenburg also tweeted cartoons and memes that urged murder of Muslims. O'Brien interviewed people he described as ex-friends of Mecklenburg who portrayed her as a racist. The former Former friends described examples of Mecklenburg being rude and hateful in person towards Muslims and Middle Eastern-looking people. For example, Mecklenburg was excessively clean and refused to use exercise equipment at Planet Fitness she frequented if it had been used by a Middle Eastern person, they said. <clears throat> Interviewees also described an incident at a local service station where she brought bananas. An older Muslim immigrant was working the counter and she refused to speak to or look at him. She even refused to take change unless the man didn't touch her. If the story was solely about how terrible a person Mecklenburg is, I wouldn't be writing this article. Instead, O'Brien went much further than just go after a widely followed Twitter account of a non-public figure. He involved innocent family members in the story, and by doing that, he and HuffPo crossed the line. HuffPo sent online mobs after this woman's family. As part of introducing Mecklenburg, O'Brien wrote that her fam father owned a wholesale business that bears a family name. He also wrote that her brother operated a craft beer bar and restaurant that also bears a family name. Anyone who knows how to use Google would be able to easily identify both. O'Brien did not contact either her father or brother and give them an opportunity to comment. That was unethical because it didn't give her family a chance to distance themselves from Mecklenburg tweets. It left the impression that they were part of the tweet. The Mecklenburg Bar responded to the story online. They said they do not agree with her tweets, and she has no connection to the bar because now they're ruling that. Predictably, SJWs have spammed the bar's Yelp page, leaving bogus one-star reviews. Most of the poor reviews came from the residents of places such as Washington, San Francisco, and California, who most likely have never even been in the business. Yelp has instituted active cleanup alert and is removing the bogus reviews, but the reviews have done damage, leaving bogus Yelp reviews as a tactic both the left and the right is used in the culture war, though the left uses it all the time. Even Mecklenburg's company wholesale business has not been spared SGW wrath. The company is not on Yelp, but they are on Google, and the company is being attacked with one-star reviews. O'Brien reporting has hurt the business of innocent family members, despite there being no evidence that they were part of it. But O'Brien wasn't done punishing the family for Amy's tweets. Her husband, Salvatore Salcino, was an executive with WWE. As part of his job, he negotiated deals to bring the WWE to Saudi Arabia. O'Brien was told that WWE knew about Muckenberg's tweets, so he called WWE. Once again, WWE predicted, predictably fired him rather than deal with the fallout. 
Patrick Poole of PJ Media tweeted that O'Brien was cr- trying to punish Mecklenburg by destroying her husband's career. This falsely implies that the employer had some kind of responsibility that they had failed to act on, Poole tweeted. But since she is not, was not an employee, the only way they could distance themselves was to fire her husband. He tweeted, Nobody went after his job, you insufferable stuffed shirt. I called WWE to give them a chance to respond to info from a source who told me WWE knew about AMAC. That's exactly how ethical journalism works. They fired him. I was shocked. Take it up with them. Then go DDT yourself. They then go into the next part. Anyone who disagrees with me is a Nazi or a fascist which is the world we live in right now. O'Brien wasn't content to just ruin the life of a random person. He decided to portray conservatives and gentle as racist. For example, O'Brien writes in 2014, she also started using neo-Nazi terms like cultural Marxist. Cultural Marxism is an accurate description of left's march through the institutions and widely used by conservative people in publications. This is a smear, plain and simple. O'Brien also sought to portray criticism of major left-wing fig- financier George Soros as anti-Semitism, while he was portraying Mecklenburg as part of a vast anti-Muslim conspiracy on the right. O'Brien and the HuffPost have come under harsh criticism on social media for their reporting, but they're not backing down. O'Brien told right-wing watch Jared Holt that the attacks were part of a right-wing mission to silence journalists. It's unbelievable. Because as we've just seen, you can call somebody a feckless cunt, nothing happens to you. But a rando on Twitter can lose their whole life because some little fucking Nancy fucking metrosexual mama boy like Luke O'Brien just doesn't like you. And once again... It makes you, as a conservative or a non-liberal, not even want to use Twitter. So my question is, is the left's idea that they just want to talk to themselves in an echo chamber? Because, you know, going back in time, I used to be on political chat boards. U.S. Politics Online. I used to contribute $50 a year. Um, I lived on that board. It's where I started doing political arguments. Um, but even there, the rules didn't apply to everyone. If you were a liberal, you can get away with all sorts of shit because the owner was from Washington, a great guy. I talked to him on the phone because he called me after I sponsored. I was the first one to sponsor. And he was a great guy, but he was uber lip. He, he didn't go to the board. He never participated because he owned it. But you could tell when we had conversations, he, he would say, I, I was one of the uh, right-wingers. And at the time, I was no different than I was now. I was middle of the road on most subjects. I just got fired up about, you know, they, they allowed anybody on there. So there was actual terrorist on that site, and I would argue with the terrorist. Because, um, you know, it's a chat board. You can't stop anybody from getting on it. And I watched this over time where basically they did... Didn't want opposing views. Liberals didn't want opposing views. And this was back in 2001, 2002 time era. It was before then. It was in the late 90s, right when I got a computer. 
I went to this board and started using it. And it's now the same with Twitter, Facebook. You can put whatever you want on about private citizens, about organizations. You can call people Nazis. You, you can say horrible shit to conservatives and about conservative women, but you can't say that about liberals. There will be, there'll be reaction to your comments. You will be banned. I was suspended back on that board for just saying, go fuck yourself. I only wrote go fuck yourself because the guy told me to fuck myself. We had gone out of proper English decorum arguing, you know, the parliamentary rules, which the board was supposed to be set up on. But this is some dangerous shit. It really is dangerous to society that our journalists are not just happy going after politicians. They want to go after private people on Twitter. And it goes in line with the way the left has gone now. It's not about Trump. They can't stop Trump. Their hate is so encompassing, they're shutting off about Trump. It's now the people that voted for Trump. They're the goddamn problem. And they're going to find a way to ruin your life if you don't sing their tune. So, off this subject and into the one that is going to make me yell. So, if you got headphones on, turn it down. We'll let Greg Gutfeld intro this. Yesterday, CNN once again became that nosy, detestable neighbor, Gladys from Bewitched, <laughs> who gins up phony concern only to spread malicious gossip about the First Lady's whereabouts. Check out this tweet from our nation's hall monitor, Brian Stelter. If any First Lady disappeared, you'd want to know where she is. <laughs> See what he did there? To justify the odious premise, he first had to create the premise. If any First Lady disappeared, and so begins a Trojan horse for a ghoulish game, all to push a phony CNN segment. See, instead of saying, is Melania missing, they pitch their segment as how the media is covering Melania's absence. So they're covering how they're covering it. <laughs> I guess we should cover how they're covering how they're covering it. One thing that the president and the White House have been quite quiet about uh, is Melania Trump and her status. We did see her tweet the other day, but the first time we've caught a glimpse of her, uh, the last time we caught a glimpse of her was on Mar May 10th. I wonder if somebody's guiding that kind, of, that kind of tweet from her. That doesn't seem like her, at least the image she's had in her engagement with the press. Well, if the first lady or, or the person who's standing in for a first lady disappears, you want to know where she right. is. Oh, clowns. So crazy. They even had a chart. How sophisticated. And so the speculation fueled endless guessing games on Twitter. The pleasure many found in hoping something was wrong with the First Lady and then cloaking it as some kind of concern dwarfs any of the jokes with the C word. CNN, HuffPo, Newsweek, Trump has deranged these ghouls to a point that they barely have any humanity left. Just when you think you hit the bottom of the cesspool, more cesspool. <laughs> Some even suggested that Trump beat Melania. Oh, God. Trapped in their own prison of pain since 2016, their misery only seeks company. I swear, Jeff Zucker must be spinning in his grave if he wasn't alive and well. Or is he? Has anyone seen him? See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dana, 
This is what people do on Sundays. I mean, there were actually people sitting oh. around tweeting about if Trump beats, has Trump beat Melania? That is, is she... really gross. Yes. And these are the... Some were conservative. Remember when um, the media was really upset about any questions about Hillary Clinton's health during the yeah. campaign? And that that was out of bounds? Mm -hmm. But there was... Yes. Actually, she did faint. Yes, yeah. <laughs> right when she was trying to get into that van, and that was out of bounds. And she wanted to be the president of the United yes. States, the first lady... Does not have any, you know, she's not an elected person. She yeah. can do whatever she wants. Um, I hope that she's well. Um, and it would be, it would be more believable if they really cared how she was. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they care. That's the thing that gets yeah. me, Jesse, is the camouflage. Right. We're just, you know, we're just worried about her. No, you're not. You don't even like her. <laughs> yeah. <You know? laughs> like last week, they were making all sorts of disgusting commentary, and now they're so concerned about her health. The media is spending more time wondering where Melania is. And not wondering where ISIS is. Mm -hmm. Don't you think they'd spill some ink over that? I mean, Trump made ISIS disappear. Melania hasn't gone anywhere. Let's focus on that. <laughs> Peter Strzok went missing. They haven't shoved the camera in Peter Strzok's face. It would seem like the media might want to get some answers about his whereabouts. She had kidney surgery three weeks ago. It's an incredibly invasive and delicate procedure. I'm sure she wants to come back on her own terms at her own time, and that's fine. But Trump's marriages have always been subject to tabloid father people. Father, they speculate. You know, it's good ink. People profit off of it. It's good for clicks. And she's not the most, you know, she doesn't speak a lot publicly. So there's a vacuum there, and she doesn't have a robust PR machine. So they fill the void with these speculations and the narratives that, that have no connection to reality and i think it just it shows the disrespect to the first family last time it was ivanka then melania this week you know they, they don't respect them like they used to anymore you, you know one is this just another example of having because there's just so much good news oh, you got to run you got to go after the first lady because mm -hmm. she might be recuperating or maybe she just likes to do whatever the hell she wants right you know maybe I she just doesn't want to be good i don't know i i don't follow twitter the way you do but i i don't know that there's any antipathy toward her i just haven't seen that I think there people, anybody made fun of her accent. Remember, Chelsea no, no, Handler? people have said that, but yeah. I, and I think people have questioned, uh, you know, her health. You know, it, they didn't know much about this, and now subsequently, but anybody who's sick, I mean, think you have to have some sympathy for them. Mm -hmm. The big question here is, she's supposed to have an event today. I think it's for Gold Star Gold families, Star, yeah. and uh, and they close it to the press. Mm -hmm. So at some point, when you're in power and you start to keep the press out, the press is like, hey, 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 what's going on? And I think that's what you're getting. But you want to attack the press for this. I just think, you know what, if the White House was transparent and said, you know what, the, the, the lady is 48, she had surgery, and she wants to, to have a rest period, I think everybody in America would say, God bless her, hope she's recovering well. But not that's the, not. Not the people. You haven't looked at the tweets. No, I haven't. They, I haven't. Rep, they talked about her getting beaten up. I don't know. They're you crazy, said conservatives. Yeah. Why is anybody even saying that? Oh, there because evidence? they're awful people. And oh, I won't oh. even mention their names because okay. they're, they're beneath. They will not be mentioned on the five. But you can look them up. Kimberly. Yeah, I just think it's really disrespectful. Obviously, this was a serious, you know, medical condition. She had to get this a kidney embolization. So it was at Walter Reed. Perhaps she needs some time to be able to recover and get back on her feet. You know, she has a, st a very stressful job because she's not you know, treated well in the press to begin with. So there's an emotional and psychological strain to begin with and now a physical toll on her body. And she's, you know, a mother of a young son. And so she's going to spend time as well with him. She's quite worried about, you know, his mom. 
mom. So what, what is the point here? They acted like she was like a missing person thing. Also, like, it's this, just crazy. This White House is the most transparent thing in the history of history. I mean, we know everything. They're, well, you know, they make it, they make fun of it for being like a reality show. But yeah. then when they, when they think that like this is part of the act, right? Yeah, that yeah. like, oh, they're hiding Melania from you. So you can't <laughs> see her. So now that has to become part of the storyline or something. And feign that they're concerned. Yeah. But they're not actually concerned at all. If they cared, they would respect privacy and let her get better instead of making a mockery of it like she's a missing persons alert on a milk cart. That's an actual news avenue. Brian Seltzer starts us off. The pro-Trump media has a new attack line. They're bemoaning the Where's Melania coverage. Of course, journalists would be asking the same question about any first lady, but her office says the word says the media is rabid. Somebody responded, maybe the media has much curiosity about stumbling Hillary being tossed in a van like a hunk of meat as it did for a woman who was post-op. Brian, you had nearly 3,000 more people telling you they weren't concerned about Melania's whereabouts when you first started this nonsense. And you're still pushing the everyone wants to know her storyline like that's why you did it. I'm starting to feel actually bad for you. Another one, New York Times. We knew the spin was inevitable, but somehow the New York Times has managed to outperform even our lowest expectation. Trump defends Melania Trump and spreads conspiracies about her and the process. They tried to blame Trump for this conspiracy theory. Off the top, my friends, this never happened over Miss Obama. This never happened over Hillary Clinton. There was plenty of time these motherfuckers went off the air And the media didn't do this. There is actual conspiracy theories that Trump killed her that we'll get to. CNN's Oliver Darcy is sick and tired of conservatives complaining about liberals and media weird conspiratorial obsession with Melania. I'm sorry, but those who obsess over Hillary Clinton's health should probably spare everyone the lecture about Melania Trump's health coverage. The corollary of you lectured reporters who ask questions about historically medically challenged candidates' physical fitness, then you should expect criticism when you apply a higher standard of scrutiny with less evidence to her opponents and wife. That was their actual argument. They tried to flip it back. Melania didn't run for office. Hillary Clinton did. She did a fucking face plant. You guys covered it and said it was sexist to ask. But at no time did anybody ask, where's Melania? This is an actual Bryant Seltzer tweet. If any first lady disappeared, you'd want to know where she is. Here's our CNN discussion with the map showing from May 11th to June 3rd, where's Melania? Like it's a where's Waldo shit. Jerry Dunleavy. Hey, Brian. CNBC's Washington correspondents, Iman Javar, who I would call a reliable source, says he saw Flotus in the West Wing on May 29th. Yet the graphic you share claims that she is last seen on May 10th. You are sharing fake news right now. Delete the tweet. Brian Seltzer. The same was about the last time she was in public. Go ahead and imagine how you feel if a different first lady wasn't even in public for three weeks. I'm talking specifically about your tweet, Brian, where you lie about the last time Melania was seen. Your graphic shares demonstratively false info and you know it. I have the receipts. Just man up, take the loss, and apologize for sharing something inaccurate and delete your account. Imagine having your own television show 
at a major news network and yet getting easily a thoroughly dunked on by a guy who's only on Twitter as a side hobby who mostly shares pineapple pizza tweets and distracted boyfriend memes. John Cooper, Melania Trump will not join her husband at the Camp David presidential retreat this weekend, extending the 22 days since she's last been seen. Forced by Trump, probably, Melania tweets, I see the media is working overtime speculating where I am or what I'm doing. Rest assured, I'm here at the White House with my family, feeling great, and working hard on behalf of the children of the American people. Brian Seltzer, as I said in the TV segment, I think there's a risk of some liberals falling into conspiracy theory trap here by assuming the worst about what's going on. The segment was about the media coverage. Take a look, he's trying to defend himself. Ordy Summer, the first lady in CNN's new Malaysia airline, in two weeks will be posting, positing that a black hole swallowed her. <laughs> Teen Vogue, where in the world is Melania Trump? Yasher Ali was the only one that surprised me. He said, for fuck's sake, how do people go to a place where they can even think this is true? Because this is what they tweeted. Do, you, do we even know if she is alive? What if Trump killed her? Serious questions. Why else bring the kids to Camp David? David. Palmer Report, a real news source to Democrats. Melania Trump, alive or dead? Melania Trump, if alive, has abducted or abdict, ab, abdicated her position as First Lady of the U.S. There is no other explanation. There is no way a person or role would continue to ignore public requests as to her welfare and status unless she is dead or abdicating her position or filed for divorce. Sorry, but after three weeks of no info on Flotus, other than a fraudulent tweet from the orange clown, we are left to develop our own theories. Here's mine. The trip to Walter Reed was a result of suicide attempt, and she's now heavily mitigated against her will. That is real tweets from the left. What if Trump has become so insane due to his narcissistic power-happy above-the-law attitude that he actually killed Melania? Would we ever know? Snopes, fact check. Did Melania Trump spell help in a tweet? The starting letters on each line was H-E-L-P. Are you fucking shitting me? Five media figures speculating Trump is abusing Melania. This is a real article. Rolling Stone senior edit writer Jamil Smith tweeted about Melania on June 3rd. I wish that I didn't suspect that the prolonged, poorly explained public absence of Melania Trump could be about... Concealing abuse. I wish that it was a ludicrous prospect. I wish that the POTUS wasn't a man with a history of abusing women, including those to whom he is married. Salon writer Bob Kaseka. Something definitely wrong. Could be a marriage thing. Could be a cosmetic surgery thing. Could be abuse thing. Absent a valiant explanation. Speculation runs amok. New York Times journalist Natalia Antova you don't have to be a Melania fan to be suspicious concerned right now, she tweeted May 30th. For all we know, she's fine, but we also know how Trump treats women. Atlantic editor David Frum, brought on CNN all the time. Suppose Trump punched the first lady in the White House federal property, federal jurisdiction, then entered the Secret Service to conceal the assault, he suggested. While a Georgetown associate professor, C. Christian Fair, has written for The Atlantic and appeared in media reports by Washington Post, her, her Melania tweet 
hey, Don, the con, real Donald Trump, what did you do to your complicit wife, Melania? We know you have a long history of domestic abuse. Break her jaw, an eye socket. Did you kick her in the back? We know you did something. Yeah, no shit. That's how far low they can go. Our media and ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSDNC, PBS, WAPO, New York Times all had these kind of stories. When, if you really, even if you're a liberal out there, think back. Did you ever count the days you saw Michelle Obama? I know the rabbit Obamaites did because to them they were gods. Did you ever? Did we ever have an article like this? Fucking disgusting. On to guns. Politico, Florida. King calls for sales tax on bullets, firearms to pay for gun safety. Hell yes. One dollar per bullet, I say. I would take this one step further and treat ammunition the same as prescription drugs. Gotta get a script from a local law enforcement. He's running for Congress. He wants a 6% fee on bullets. Told you it was coming. So we're going to go into our B segment because it's still out there. We're going to play Katie Tour getting smashed by uh, Noonan and Bill Press bashing Christians and pretty much saying the view didn't go far enough. The president's pointing to the hypocrisy in the media, saying that the most mm-hmm. horrible things about this president, uh, and nobody addresses it. Mm-mm. No. And again. How dare you say the most horrible things about the most horrible president? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. <laughs> Why? He says, Sarah, he said, she's on it. Okay. Uh, we're not defending her again. I'm not aware of any conversations that have taken place. Uh, the president's simply calling out the media bias. Yeah, no one's no. defending what she said. Mm-mm. Mm-mm, no, we're not defending, but again, all we want to do is one more chance to attack the media. And why, why, she says, echoing her boss, who of course is watching, right? So that's why she says what she says. Why haven't they apologized to Donald Trump? Where was Bob Iger's apology to the White House staff for Jamel Hill calling the president and anyone associated with him a white supremacist? To Christians around the world for Joy Bear calling Christianity a mental illness. Well, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, first of all, Joy Bear apologized on the air. She said that about Mike Pence. By the way, Mike Pence's Christianity, she's right. Yeah. She's right. Yeah. Um, I do think what's what's unfortunate here is that uh, the Samantha Bee controversy, it's now overshadowing what is the story that she was trying to bring attention to, which is the story that families are being ripped apart at the border, that this administration is claiming there's a new law when it's just a policy, and they're taking families apart, even when families are coming in, according to reporters, asking for asylum. That is a real issue. That is not being covered because we're all talking about Samantha B. using a word that she should not have used. It wasn't just a word. It was an obscene personal attack. Obscene, an obscene and personal, personal attack. attack. And and that did obscure her point. Yes. But that also showed maybe she wasn't serious about it. I don't think Samantha B. and Roseanne are really comparable. I think some people are saying, you know, Trump enabled Roseanne Barr. She has been a kook for 20 years. True. And- 
So we start with that piece of shit, woke feminist Josh Whedon attacks Jordan Peterson for critiquing woke feminists. Josh Whedon spent most of last week defending political comedian Samantha Bee, who used a derogatory slur against Ivanka Trump. But to further solidify his woke feminist credentials, Whedon topped off his campaign against one of the nation's most influential women by attacking Professor Jordan Peterson for the crime, of course, pointing out the hypocrisy of woke feminists. Feminist taps into frustration that have been ignored for all of history. Step the fuck back, you insult-courting fish wrapper. In fairness to Mr. Whedon, these last few months has been quite the trying time for the outspoken progressive. After spending years touting his own feminist credentials, the rap revealed last year during the Me Too wave of sexual harassment allegations that swept the entertainment industry that Whedon was a serial philanderer. Per his ex-wife, Joss admitted that for the next decade and a half, he hid... Next decade? They wrote that wrong. He hid multiple affairs, a number of inappropriate emotional ones that he had with his actresses, co-workers, fans, and friends while he stayed married to me. Weed later went on to blame his troubles with monogamy on his own toxic masculinity, which apparently made him both a feminist and an attacker on the front lines in the war on women. Two positions they really cannot be held simultaneously, the article states, which I think is pretty funny. Peterson, of course, is a regular critic of the woke feminist movement, often pointing out the deep hypocrisy of the movement's leaders, particularly those who clothe themselves in a mantle of feminism like we did to disguise or excuse their own bad behavior. In the end, it seems the winner is Peterson. In his own criticism, Whedon proved Peterson's point perfectly. Liberals once again exempt themselves from the rules. Large article that brings down what we've been talking about. I'm not going to go into it because it's got to shorten the chain on this one. Then there's this information, the Daily Caller. Joy Reid once wrote that Al-Qaeda may be a trumped-up fantasy to push wars. A post from Jay Reed stated, in Al-Qaeda, a trumped up, is Al-Qaeda a trumped-up fantasy designed to perpetuate Bush's corporate wars? Or is it a real threat to the security of the United States that the administration is simply incapable of containing, or worse, of inadvertently expanding? She also appeared to once again push a 9-11 conspiracy, saying he ha- he has it been resolved to most people's satisfaction that the Bush administration had nothing to do with 9-11? I think the answer here is clearly no. Yeah. And then we have another example of the view being horrible. But understand, one week later from our podcast on this, nothing's happened to B, nothing's happened to the view. Roseanne will be coming back with a liberal cast and the liberal point of view forward in the front, which means nobody will watch it. And the hypocrisy goes on and we'll go into our MS-13 story of the week. The network has apologized for it. Um, you know, Samantha B has apologized for it. My issue is we're talking now about Samantha B, but we're not talking about Roseanne's racist comments right. about Valerie Jarrett. And this president has yet to come out and condemn those comments. That's what we should be talking about. I mean, he comes out against Colin Kaepernick. He comes out against Starbucks because they banned the Christmas cup. Why hasn't he come out about the two men that what happened to the two? Why doesn't he come out about that? So it seems to me 
that um, he, he wants to talk about he everything wait, wait, wait. but the actual racism that's going on in our I country with African-American men. I don't think he sees them as different. That's the problem here. Oh, I think he no, sees them as very different. He doesn't care about African-Americans well, in this country. That's part of the problem. That's the problem. He absolutely no care. You know, everybody can see that it is different, but this plays into his narrative of wanting to get rid of a foe. Trump likes people who are good to him, who suck up to him, like Roseanne, who support him, like Roseanne. He does not like people who confront him and who criticize him, like Sam B. So this is taking advantage of a mistake she made. And unlike Donald Trump and the people who work in his White House, she acknowledged the mistake, she apologized genuinely for the mistake, and she has regretted it. But shouldn't there be consequences? Does that, mean, does that mean you can say anything no, and say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, look, I think and there she, should be no consequences? The consequences think, are that the advertisers pulled out, mm -hmm. and no. that's the threat to the show. And then the, we're talking about it, and you've got women here saying, look, we find the C word offensive. But here's the problem. We've got a president who used the P word. Yeah. Who said he, yeah. you know, went after women like a B yeah. word, who talked about Haiti and Africa. We yeah. are running out of we're alphabet letters. That on the yeah. the way. <laughs> we are. If, a, if it were a man who used this, would it be worse? Yes. So it's uh, I think it's bad. I think they're. No. I don't like the word. I just don't think it's funny. You know, it's funny. We it were almost talking. makes it worse yeah. because it's female on female. I don't crime. agree with that. We're I think it's to be much in it worse together as women. When a man uses that word, it's like the word bitch. We can say it, but a man can't use it so yeah, easily. Yeah, but, but you, all, you go back to the same thing. Like you know. Look, I don't like African Americans using the word N, the N word. Yeah, I don't I use it. I don't, I don't want anybody, anybody to use it. it. Yeah. I don't like the word, the C word. I don't think anybody should use but it. But that, you know, but, but people are entitled to use words, words True. that belong to them. We want to know, would you rather date a Trump supporter or an MS-13 gang member? I'm Julianista. And I'm Stephanie Hamill. We're with The Daily Caller, and we're going to go find out. Which one would you date? An MS-13 gang member or a Trump supporter? Oh, uh, gang member. Give it a gang member! So I'm going to go MS-13. Yeah, probably MS-13 member. MS-13. MS-13. All the way. Neither. <laughs> I'll stay single. It's embarrassing that I don't know what an MS-13 gang member is. Can someone tell me what that is? I'm not going to date either of them, I don't think. Uh, I guess a Trump supporter, because... Um, I guess at least they stand for something. MS-13. Why? Why an MS-13? Because I lived in Bolivia, so I understand a little bit of the culture. Not for the Trump supporters. No. no. I mean, your choice is your choice, but not for me. What if it was Kylie? Ooh, what's I see you on? Still not a Trump supporter, but probably uh, MS-13 gang member. Yeah, a lot of Trump supporters were probably raised by rich white dads and people with lots and lots of money, and they, they're bred into being Trump supporters. I'm from Connecticut, and I can tell you, 80% of the girls in high school would say that they were Republican when they were in high school because their dads were rich white dads, and they had no idea what Republican even meant. Yeah, that's a real soundbite. That's how bad the left is. But our story this week pretty much is like every story I do on this. Twice deported illegal alien re-enters country and kills daughter. 
legal alien was sentenced to life in prison in New Bedford, Massachusetts on Friday after pleading guilty to the murder of his daughter. The man in question is Walter Da Silva, shot and killed Sabrina Da Silva in 2016 because he felt disrespected. Walter Da Silva admitted to shooting and killing his 19-year-old daughter because she continued to date an older man. This apparently upset Da Silva, who felt further insulted when she refused to visit him on Father's Day. Da Silva spent 8 to 10 years in jail and then was deported back to home county of Brazil, country, excuse me. This was the second time that he had been deported. He was also removed in 1999. In 2016, he returned to the States and quickly tried to reconnect with his daughter. He gave her many gifts, blah, 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 blah. And then he killed her. And in his background is MS-13 linkings. But hey, we got to give him free everything, don't we, liberals? Then this, Jim, Obama's senior administration advisor, no, Trump's administration isn't losing kids at the border. Uh, the interviewer. Well, the lead up to the next step, HHS, that's the Department of Health and Human Services, recently they did a survey of children, like asking what happened to them. Well, they now, and 1,475 or so, who were supposed to be tracked by the agency were missing, are those some of the, these same unaccompanied minors? The official. That's exactly who these kids are, right? So HHS, its job is to place the kids in least restrictive settings. In the vast majority of cases, those kids and parents in the United States, most of the time those parents were also here illegally. So what I think has happened with these missing kids is in many cases those parents and kids have been reunited and they've gone off the grid. They don't want to be contacted by a government agency. Later, she says, well, look, there's always reason to be concerned. This is an agent, a federal agency with places kids, in most cases with their own families. That doesn't mean that every placement is terrific, but it's the most likely case is that these are undocumented families and they don't want to contact the federal government. The interviewer asked him 10 or 12 times, or her, and she responded with the same thing. These are illegals. They've now gone to sanctuary cities, and they're off the grid getting free shit from Democratic politicians who look at black people and say, go fuck you, you don't get any freebies, we want these Latino folks, they're a bigger block. Got it. Russia, Russia, breaking DOJ internal watchdog has concluded that James Comey defied authority at times during his tenure as FBI director. Per sources familiar with the draft report on the matter, draft report explicitly used words insubordinate to describe Comey's behavior. An expert. One source told ABC News that the draft report explicitly used the word insubordinate to describe Comey's behavior. Another source agreed with the characterization but could not confirm the use of the term. In the draft report, Inspector General Michael Horowitz also rebuked former Attorney General Loretta Rinch for handling of the federal investigation into Clinton's personal email. Horowitz draft report cited Comey for failing to consult with Lynch and other senior Justice Department officials before making his announcement on national TV, while saying that there was no clear evidence that Clinton intended to violate the law. Comey insisted the former Secretary of State was extremely careless in her handling of very sensitive high classified information. I have not coordinated or reviewed this statement in any way with the Department of Justice or any other part of the government. They do not know what I am saying about what I'm about to say. By then, Lynch had taken the unusual step of publicly declaring she would accept the FBI's recommendation in the case after an impromptu meeting with former President Bill Clinton sparked questions about her impartiality. Later on in the article, it pretty much says, Comey went out there to do it, 
and it looks like he did it for the reasons that we know he did it, political. Not law, not about the fucking damn investigation, because there was no investigation. They had already had the ruling, she was not guilty, prior to even picking up the first computer hard drive that was crushed. Then this came out. Sources, Wasserman Schultz screamed at House officials to kill hacking probe, intervene in Pakistani criminal matter. This is more of the same that we know, that she was very worried about this, and by the end, it appears ex-Dem IT aide Imran Awan and his wife, Hani Alvi, have struck a deal with prosecutors. Court filings say a plea agreement hearing has been set for July 3rd. Luke Rosak, after seven delays in the black and white evidence of misconduct in the House investigation server logs, invoices, hours after a negative story about DWS role, her brother is a prosecutor in D.C., prosecutors suddenly say they have a deal. Everybody says what it is. They made him a deal he can't refuse. He is going to not get any punishment. He's not going to tell the truth. And just like the IRS, they're going to bury this and get away with illegal shit. Why can't Trump be more like Obama and abuse his power and use these agencies to crack the fuck down? Going to go to a music break and our tweets of the day, but before we go out, remember last podcast we talked about Ben Rose? Was it a fire for effect? A total hack, lackey, designer of giving our enemies billion, trillions of dollars, even though they're killing American shoulders, soldiers, the whole Iran deal? Yeah. Well, he was brought on CBS. I don't remember... Anybody in the Bush administration getting this kind of an interview or this question? Are they trying to destroy what you built? That's an actual CBS question, and that's why our media is fucking broke, Dick. You said we didn't always get things right, but the larger project of, of believing that America is a better place. When you look at the Trump administration, many people believe that they're trying to unravel and undo everything that the Obama administration did. Does he feel that way, and do you members of the administration feel that everything that you did, the work that you accomplished, that they're now trying to take it all apart? Do you feel that? Well, certainly, there are certain policies that they've targeted, you know, Paris Climate Agreement, Cuba, TPP. There's not an ideological rationale for why you would take down all of those policies, other than that Barack Obama did them.
Poking at the media bubble, one podcast at a time. Here's Tony Reed. hear a statement like that or read a statement like that from from Barack Obama who is as we said in, in an introspective and thoughtful and very wise man and a brilliant writer and he says something like maybe I came along 20 years too soon my reaction to that is what do you mean uh, which is to say I cannot possibly fill in the paragraph that that is the first sentence of right. if it is spoken by Barack Obama because his mind is too supple, too complex, too rich compared to my own to f to fill out what the rest of that mm. thought is. And I think he's got a really interesting thought there. And when you when you hear him in an extended interview like he re most recently did with David Letterman, yeah. you, you understand that wherever that first line began is not it did not tell you where that answer was going to go yeah. 75 or 200 words later. That was Lawrence O'Donnell and sweet God in heaven. What the fuck is wrong with you people? It's like Messiahville. It's totally Messiahville over there. You're troubled. But our tweet of the day goes to Julia Roberts. And, and you got to step way out on the branch if you're in Hollywood to do this. Julia Roberts to Celine Dion. You're wrong, Celine. The U.S. was destroyed by Obama and terrorists. And now Trump's going to make Amer Obama's destroyed America great again. Also, if you hate Trump, you can go to your own country. And that is an exact quote from Julia Roberts. And that's our tweet of the day. We're living in a country that is so addicted. We got a guy who gets up every morning and excretes the feces of his moral depravity oh. into a nation he has turned into a psychic commode. Oh my God. That's what he's done. And oh he is God. the bigot in chief and a racist in residence. Look, I argued with black people who told me there was no difference between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Slow down with that mace. You're killing him. Yeah. There's a huge difference, right? And people say, well, Hillary Clinton wasn't likable. She ain't trying to be your girlfriend. She got a man. Mm -hmm. She's trying to run the nation. She has more knowledge in her little finger than this man has in his entire body. And, and on top of that, and on top of that, she also possessed a kind of integrity. We were doubtful of her. Look at this mendacious, relentlessly lying, bigoted, ill-informed person that we have. He is the fleshly thesaurus of white supremacy reduced to one body. So yes, the Democratic Party has been problematic, but it ain't enough to drive me to people who not only ignore me, but who don't understand. The Republicans don't understand they have an inbuilt advantage. Black people are morally conservative, even if they're politically progressive. They go to church, they read mm -hmm. the Ten Commandments. Yeah. If Republicans weren't so racist, 
racist, they could encourage black people who are morally conservative to be on their side. I'm always arguing against okay. black people in church about homophobia, mm -hmm. about the place of women, but I know that okay. there are some deeply rooted conservative values that need to be taken advantage of if Republicans weren't so bigoted and weren't so racist. That's Eric Dyson saying stuff there's no fucking way you could ever say about Obama. And that's his TDS on a level. I, well, it's Trump on the next one. Jeff Flake. Steve Scalise back on the field this morning. This does my heart good. You should hear the shit people said. From, I wish you would have killed him, to why are we taking care of him? What about the dead kids? This guy should have died because he doesn't do gun reform. It, yeah. Then there was Woke Progress Administration retell a familiar story from the point of view of a supporting character. Like, it's a tragedy of a good husband and father who was killed by his pilot's friend recklessly in fighter school. That's, of course, Top Crun said by somebody that was in the movie because he killed Goose. Stephen Miller did it. Distinguished, upstanding man of society. Surprises fiance with priceless diamond and once in a lifetime cruised America where she promptly cheats on him and uses horrible act of God as an excuse to leave him and keep diamond. Bitch. It was a joke. Some lady named Erica Greider. Well, I'll just let Stephen Miller kind of sum it up. This is legit bonkers. There's no showdown. They aren't, there aren't teams. There was a joke made completely unrelated to one person who has now taken upon themselves to keep it going for four hours because they didn't get it. It's like crazy town up in here. And liberals lost it because he said the joke. Then there's Uber TDS. Some rando, Clara Feminist. I just wrote fuck Trump with my poop. Did you get a show on TBS, somebody asked? It's a legitimate picture where she wrote fuck Trump on a toilet seat with her own poop. Her, her, her fucking, uh, profile. Uh, my name is Clara, or Clara, it's hard to read. Fuck Trump, not my president, bisexual, LGBTTIQQ, AAPP supporter, not a proud American, but I'm from America. She's got a jacked up haircut. What is wrong with writing with your own poop? Really? Then there's Seth MacFarlane. A simply means by which, a simple means by which to begin the rehabilitation of a deeply fractured nation would be through the restoration of the fairness doctrine, doctrine, which is required all TV and radio broadcasters to present opposite of viewpoints on all issues. Introduced in 1949 and revoked in 85. Bad move. Seth, you are pilloried with this tweet. Because that would mean there'd be more than just Fox News out there. Because everything else is liberal. ABC News. Swatting. Prank reported at home of Parkland teen activist David Hogg, who was out of town at the time. The swatting incident was just a silly prank, Hogg says. A lot of people attacked him for the simple fact that he seemed like he knew it was going to happen. But one person said, further proving this kid has no grasp on reality. But our hate is media matters. After months of right-wing media attacks, 
family of Parkland shooting survivor David Hogg is targeted and dangerous harassment incident. Media Matter writes, and once again, this is the Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, anti-conservative media who think that ABC News is biased against them. The dangerous swatting episode, following months, blah, 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 ludicrous conspiracy theories and ad hominem attacks after speaking out against America's endemic gun violence problem. Fox personalities use airtime to attack Hog and other survivors for targeting gun manufacturers and activists. They bring Laura Ingram, Todd, yada, yada, yet to discover from Hog, even drew the ire Mike Adams, a far-right conspiracy theorist. We hate to break this to mediators, but there's a huge difference between mocking David Hogg or calling him out on this BS and attempted murder, because in their article they say this is attempted murder by swatting him. Who the hell is Media Matters to excuse the right-wing media being responsible for this? Was the left-wing media to blame when conservatives like Eric Erickson were victims of swatting? Eric, Alex Griswold, this is really irresponsible. We have no idea who the per- perpetrator was, and have yet, we're already blaming people on the right for it? Another, you have no evidence of who did this. This has happened to folks on the right who have faced attacks from left-wing media, including you, Media Matters. I guess that means you're to blame for those incidents, right? You fucking scumbags. Not surprised. We just did a doxing. Everything's your fault. You live in the middle of the country, it's your fault. Paul Krugman, I'd love to have serious discourse with honesty, honest conservative intellectuals. Unfortunately, they're very hard to find. By the end, he is pilloried even by leftists who say, you won't have conversations with them. You shut them down, and then you do an article saying they're all horrible idiots, just like you just did. Connor Latour, LeBron James on Trump uninviting the Eagles to the White House. I know regardless of who wins the series, no one wants to invite him anyway. It won't be Golden State or Cleveland going. Here's a flashback to 2012. For those who have been the show, I've done this before, but I just want to bring it back up. Grow up and what a joke. Bruins goalie Jim Thompson Thomas decides to skip out of a trip to the White House because he doesn't like President Obama. Adam McGinney. These are all ESPN analysts. Bruins goalie Tim Thomas refused to attend the team's White House ceremony. He's not an Obama fan. Is that fair or disrespectful? Tony Stark Radio. Tim Thomas no shows to meet Obama, says government's out of control crazy. Will not be suspended by the team, but he should. Michael Moore on Twitter. People in Flint love Obama, detest Tim Thomas. David Zirin. To Bruins, Tim Thomas, if you don't like Obama, have the pucks to say so. I wouldn't go to the White House either, albeit for what are probably far different reasons. Clay Travis. Six years ago, Boston Bruin Tim Thomas decided not to go to Obama White House. He was crushed by ESPN. Read more. Crushed his right. This is Joe McDonald was on their website. But when the President of the United States invites you and all your teammates to the White House to honor your Stanley Cup championship, you go and represent the team. Comments on this. 
Tim Thomas should have stuck to goaltending. His snub Obama was just dumb. Too many pucks to the heads, Timbo. Message to Tim Thomas. When Obama starts critiquing your goaltending, we'll start caring about your political views. Nobody asked Tim Thomas to vote for Obama. They just asked him to show up at the White House and be respectful to the office of the President of the United States. AG conservatives have to say the comparison to ESPN pundits now cheering on players who skip White House visits and even attacking those who do not is rather stark. A liberal. This is fair criticism by Clay Travis. My view is that going to the White House shouldn't be compulsory. This is America. It's unfucking believable. It's just unbelievable the utter hypocrisy of all this. But I didn't cover the story because I don't fucking care. I'm so tired of the media and oh, it's so brave to blow off the president when he's a conservative, and it's so disrespectful when it's a Democratic president. 2020 will be some fun podcast. If I'm still podcasting and you fine viewers are still listening to me, I will have a blast when a Democrat's the president because I'm just going to pull out all these podcasts. I remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Remember this? Because all the crazy shit, I keep the files. I'm going to play Chuck Trod just going crazy how terrible Trump is. And then I'll play a soundbite in 2020 of Chuck Todd going, this is politics. The president's right. We should make everybody pay taxes on everything. And our last hate tweet before we go into hypocrisy, Keith Oberman. It's not just the NBC Sports has trotted out Dale Earnhardt Jr. in its Stanley Cup pregame and at the start of its first intermission. It's the institutional tone deafness and indicated by the belief that there is any overlap between these two sports with utterly different demographics. I know plenty of people who like hockey and NASCAR, you fucking dolt. He gets a job, Roseanne, show... Becomes a liberal mouthpiece. Interesting. Let's go to hypocrisy without a bumper. Chuck Todd should probably stick to tweeting about things he understands. You know, like, wait, give us a second. There has to be something. You know what? Just keep reading while we try and figure it out. Chuck Todd. Does anyone think for one second that the founders ever thought the head of an executive was or should be above the law? to think we may actually have to pass a constitutional amendment to declare that POTUS can't pardon himself. Sean Davis, impeachment by Congress is a solution designed by the founders and enshrined in the Constitution to address the problem of presidential corruption. Read a book. Derek Hunter, I chuckle when I see liberals get upset when someone treats the Constitution the way they treat it. Chuck Todd is the same guy who ridicules people who believe in God-given rights so Americanism isn't exactly his bag. So all of a sudden, Chucky's worried about the presidential powers stated in the Constitution and whether or not he can, should follow them. Hmm. Every week is a constitutional crisis. I was going to read an article on here, but it was too long. I've never heard the word used this much. Constitutional crisis is everything for the left right now. Google apologizes for labeling North Carolina state senator as a bigot in search terms. Google has apologized Republican North Carolina Senator Trudy Wade for an old photo of her which superimposed word bigot and red capital letters that appeared on the search engine results related to the senator's name. 
A story published by Vice about the photo, which is then distributed by media aggregator Drudge, prompted the apology from Google. We apologize to Senator Wade that this image appeared in the Knowledge Panel in search. The image that appeared in the Knowledge Panel either selected by the verified users or automatically sourced from sites across the web. The problem is all the verified users and all the sources are liberal. This is a meme some jackass made. Yeah, just a meme. That's what it is. It's fucking unbelievable, and it would never happen to a liberal. Then we got Nikki Haley, because we had it last week about everybody freaking out about a state of South Carolina symbol on her neck that came from the Muslim Brotherhood or some shit. Nikki Haley literally begged other ambassadors to support her UN resolution on Gaza, and not one voted for it. T. Beckett Adams. What is this shit? Reporting? Is this all your first time covering, is this your first time covering politics? It's legit just a bunch of footage that they cut and spliced to support their belief. Something unusual, unprecedented happened, and all set to goofy Mr. McGew music. Again, is this their first crack of politics? That website's fucking insane. Then there's this from the New York Times. The New York fucking Times. Obama just too good for us. It was a moment of peak Spock. Hours after globe-rattling election of a man whom Barack Obama has totally disdained for, a tune who would take a chainsaw to the former president's legacy on policy and decency, Obama sent a message to his advisor, Ben Rhodes. There are more stars in the skies than grain of sands on Earth. Perhaps Obama should have used a different line with a celestial theme by Shakespeare. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. As President Obama always found us wanting, we were constantly disappointing him. He would tell us the right thing to do and then sigh in Purcell's lips when his instructions were not followed. This is a real article. I'm not, I'm not making this up. This is a real reporter. Dowd. Shortly after Donald Trump was elected, Rhodes writes in his new book, The World As It Is, Obama asked his aides, what if we were wrong? For the next breath, the president made it clear that what he meant was, what if we were wrong in being so right? What if we were too good for these people? Maybe we pushed too far. Maybe people just want to fall back on their tribe. So really he's not acknowledging any flaws, but simply wondering if we were even more benighted than he thought. He's saying that sadly we're not enlightened enough for the momentous change wrought by the smartest people in the world, or even evolved enough for the first African American president. Sometimes I wonder whether I was 10 or 20 years too early. We just weren't ready for this amazing awesomeness. It is stunning to me, having been on the road with Barack Obama in giddy evanescence days of 2008, that he does not understand his own historic rise to power, how he defied impossible odds, and gracefully leapt over obstacles. He did it by sparking hope in many Americans, after all the deception and squandering blood of money of the Bush-Cheney era, that he was going to give people a better future, something honest and cool and modern. But by the end, in his second term, he had lost the narrative about lifting up people, about buoying them on economic issues and soothing their jitters about globalization. They needed to know what's in it for them. 
He pushed aside his loyal vice president, was considered an unguided missile, and backed a woman who had no economic message and almost used a slogan because it's her turn. Then he put his own reputation for rectitude at risk by preemptively exonerating Hillary Clinton on the email issue and furiating federal agents who were still investigating the case. The hunger for revolutionary change, the fear that some people were being left behind in America and that no one in Washington cared, was an animated force of his boisterous rallies for Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. Yet Obama, who had surfed a boisterous wave in the Oval Office, ignored and rest of this, here and around the world, he threw his weight behind the most status quo elitist candidate. I couldn't shake the feeling that I should have seen it coming, Rhodes write about the darkness that enveloped him when he saw the electoral map turn red. Because when you distilled it, stripped out the racism, misogyny, we'd run against Hillary eight years ago with the same message Trump had used. She's part of the corrupt establishment that can't be trusted to change. It was a bad time to figure that out. Where were the next Obamas? Obama had never been about party building. He was a man alone in the arena. Even though he could make magic like the time he sang Amazing Grace at a funeral in South Carolina, Obama did not like persuading people to do what they didn't want to do. And then in the definition of politics, he wanted them to simply do what he had asserted to be right. President Obama could be deliberative, reticent, and cautious to the fault, which spurred an appetite for more impulsive, visceral, hurl-burly successor. He got tangled in a cat's cradle of the twin FBI investigations of Hillary Clinton's emails and Russia meddling. In retrospect, he probably should have been more transparent about both. Rhodes says that the weeks after the election, he warned Obama that a narrative was developed and they didn't do enough about Russia. And do you think Obama replied that the type of people reading that stuff were going to listen to me? Remember, you're deplorable. Obama was well aware during the campaign that a chosen heir sometimes seems seemed to be phoning it in. Campaigning together in Charlotte, he was non-pulsed to find out that Hillary had quickly slipped out of a barbecue joint where they had stopped to get food and greet people while the president was left on his own, shaking every hand. Afterward, he told aides, most of the folks in these places have been watching Fox News and think I'm the Antichrist. But if you showed up, shake their hand, and look them in the eye, it's harder for them to turn you into a character. You might even pick up a few votes. The Clinton campaign, Rhodes reports, asked Obama to go the day before the election to Pennsylvania and Michigan, a state he had won by 10 points in 2012. Michigan, Obama said in wonder, that's not good. I'm speechless. They write about him in 2018 like they do in 2008. And it's like you're reading something about Jesus Christ. We were not good enough for him. We crucified him on the cross by voting for Trump. That's their analogy. How can you have a free election if that's your media, folks? How? I ask that question over and over, but how? How do we have a free election when the entire media establishment is about whoever the Democrats gerrymander in? As long as it has a D behind its name, it's not a Nazi. Vote for it. Got it. Media Mash, MSNBC, misleading, suggesting a doubling of whites killing minorities. Total lie. MSDNC panel, Donald Trump believes in autocracy. President Trump has a mindset of a dictator. 
MSDNC blames liberal racism on Republicans. And NBC rebukes Trump's foreign policy. Canada losing its diplomatic patience because they fucking love Trudeau. Enjoy. If you look at the numbers, those anti-hate groups have been tracking the numbers. And for example, we've seen hate crimes jump up 20% just last year in major cities. And the number of people killed by white supremacists, it doubled in 2017 compared to the year before. Anti-hate groups say that the number of hate crimes has jumped up 20% in just the last year in major cities. And the number of people actually killed by white supremacists doubled in 2017 compared to the year before, Alex. Anti-hate groups say the number of hate crimes has jumped up 20% in the last year in major cities. And the number of people killed by white supremacists doubled in 2017 compared to 2016. Donald Trump believes in autocracy. He does not believe in Republican democracy as it is represented or parliamentary democracy throughout Europe and the United States over its entire history. He believes and his biggest obstacle is democracy. That's why he doesn't like the investigations. That's why he doesn't like the the, the way of governance in America. And he feels comfortable with dictators and autocrats. And, you know, I just finished a new book on this, Plot to Destroy Democracy, which is which shows that he he is in a complete alignment with Vladimir Putin, because Putin has worked very hard over the last 20 years to create an axis of autocracies. And Donald Trump was one of those people that they saw as very favorable to this global oligarchy running democratic nations and destroying the Atlantic Alliance, the globalist world and democracy as it's been spread since the end of World War II. And interestingly, to that point, Khaled, that Sabrina brought up about this becoming more mainstream, I know that you recently wrote an article for The Guardian, and it actually has a really interesting uh, point to it, which is that there is Islamophobia on the rise among uh, the liberals uh, in what is called liberal Islamophobia, saying it was more insidious than right-wing bigotry. Uh, Why do you say that? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, above all, it's dangerous to sort of caricature Islamophobia as something specifically coming from the right. I mean, it's more explicit, you know, it's more brazen on the right with politicians like Trump and with personalities like Roseanne. But it's also present on the left. I think you say you see some of the same stereotypes. You see some of the the same simplistic sort of assessments coming from really popular, celebrated figures on the left. Uh, Bill Maher comes to mind uh, on his television show. He's engaged in spewing the same sort of, you know, harmful, vile um, illustrations of Islam and Muslims as being this, you know, monolithic, uh, you know, demonist sort of element. Um, so I think what's happening on the right is, in some respects, emboldening uh, the rise and emergence of Islamophobia on the left. The correlation, I think, is really critical. A huge right moment at the White House this week, where the president sat down with the North Korean general, the right-hand man of Kim Jong Un, yeah. gave him an audience there at the White House, gave him the photo op. We're now just about ten days away, Chuck, from that meeting in Singapore. Right. Nine days, actually, on July the twelfth. Where is this headed? Is this headed to another photo op, but just in Singapore? Or is there real movement on denuclearization and the things the United States wants here? It looks like all the movement is on the United States side. There doesn't seem to be much movement on the North Korean side. You have the president saying he's not going to talk about maximum pressure anymore when it comes to sanctions. You have a president now talking about, well, maybe we would uh, have a a phase-in of this. As, As one analyst pointed out this morning, essentially President Trump looks like he's about to agree to the same thing Bill Clinton agreed to in the 90s with Kim Jong-un's father, uh, which led us nowhere. 
uh, which got us nowhere. It was sort of an agreement to a temporary freeze that eased some sanctions and essentially was buying time. So it does look like we are headed to, a, if, if not a photo op, something that is far, far short of anything yeah. the president had promised. Before I let you run, Chuck, the G7 this week in Canada, of all places, yes. on a week when the president of the United States and the White House instituted tariffs on steel and aluminum yeah. against our allies, including Canada. You sat down with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. It seems to me, in the bits I've seen of your interview, he's begun to yeah. lose, lose his diplomatic patience with this That's president. That's exactly what he's, uh, I would call it, uh, concern and confusion, not quite anger. This is a Canadian, mind you, very polite. He didn't get angry. But he's, it's like, wait a minute, why are you treating Canada the same right. way you treat China? And we've been there with you through thick and thin. We understand you have a dispute with China. Why are you bringing us into it? And then, of course, it's sort of like, and I asked him, do you know what the, President Trump wants? And he says, I don't know. Wow. Before we go into our bias 101, uh, my voice is cracked like I'm on. In puberty, that'd be nice again. Raw story, the right to murder. MSDNC Joe and Mika warned Trump and Giuliani are claiming terrifying new powers. The Morning Joe host warned congressional Republicans that Rudy Giuliani, the personal attorney for the president, had crossed red line over the weekend by claiming Trump could have assassinated former FBI Director James Comey and escaped punishment. I understand that Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill watch this show a good bit, a lot of times than Jim Scarbo said, because that's what I used to do. And then he tells some fucking story about when he was in Congress 20 years ago. Hi, how are y'all doing? Scarborough pointed out the Chiron at the bottom of the screen, which read Giuliani. Trump could shoot Comey and not be indicted. Christopher Cuomo. Paris is going too far like this allow escape hatch for Rudy and Trump. Rudy never said POTUS can kill. He was taking, talking about process of removing POTUS. Impeachment first, but going too far, you lose high ground that Rudy should have never used the example. Stick to the truth. Everybody attack Chris Cuomo. And when Chris Cuomo is calling you too partisan, sweet Jesus, you're fucked up. Take a knee on Flag Day. Yeah. Fuck America, right, liberals? Five graphically designed people are displaying above the headline, well, on Flag Day, the most patriotic among us should be kneeling, all taking a knee. Each is dressed in clothing that bears the Star and Stripe. This fake patriotism is proper way to honor America on Flag Day, writes undefeated blog Jeff Rivers. Undefeated is a subsidiary of ESPN. In Rivers' social justice world, the greatest patriots are athletes who kneel. They have stood tall for freedom and justice in this great land for you and me. Ex-NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick and those who have followed him have been among the standard bearers for the nation's highest and most enduring ideals. Some, even those who will proudly display the flag during our most patriotic holidays, forgot how important protests, especially those of the dispossessed, have been in making to keep America great. The nation's most fervent and meaningful flag waver, fighting for social justice in the streets, the courts, and voting booths. The two-league action, former Latter-day Missouri Compromise, aimed at maintaining the balance of power between team owners and players, just as the original Missouri Compromise sought to balance political power between southern and northern states. Oh, okay, got to bring racism in. When they present ways to wave the flag for justice in America, whether it's kneeling on the sideline or standing tall in their communities, let's stand ready to salute them. Happy Flag Day. Disrespect the flag and soldiers. And once again, the most, the highest form of patriotism I see, and so do everybody in the middle of the country, the normal Americans, is the people that are lying in Arlington. And your local veteran cemetery. That's the highest form of patriotism. 
Maybe Martin Luther King who gave his life for a cause. Not a bunch of malcatech millionaires talking about income inequality and racism when they play in a league that's 80% black. Excuse me, 70. Hmm. Okay. Our Bias 101 starts with a tweet by Valerie Rote. Acosta, hey Jim, look what happened. Want to flap your lips now? Don't you get tired of being a loser? Mega. Trump commutes sentence of woman serving drug-related term Life term after Kim Kardashian meets her. Vox. Vox. This is a woman, an African-American woman, life sentence for a nonviolent crime. He commutes a sentence. This is all off the Kardashian meeting that Costa said should never happen. And Vox does this. Trump wants to execute drug dealers, but he granted commutation to one because of Kim Kardashian. Somebody said, it didn't take long for the prog media to come out on the other side of commutating a nonviolent drug person's order sentence. Sorry, I fucked that reading all up. So here's Jim Acosta again. One way to address the briefing is for reporters to stick together when the press secretary cuts somebody off. Ideally, we could and should insist on answers if somebody is cut off. We don't do that as much as we should. Problem is, there is so little time and so many pressing questions. The problem is that you're at the weakest link and would then be bring the rest of the team down, Jim. Or they take your approach and scream questions at inappropriate times like a fucking lunatic, Jim. Most of America has had its fill of your whiny petulance. Please, for everybody's sanity, stick a sock in it. But April Ryan was at it again. Gonna play a soundbite. These are some of the goddamn tweets from journalists. That's because you're a pansy, Jeffrey. Seriously, if April Ryan yelling at Sarah Sanders make you weep tears of joy, you've got a problem. And speaking of a problem, April seems to have a problem doing legitimate journalism. Breaking. Reporters on the South Lawn have confirmed that Donald Trump was heckled and booed when he came out to celebrate America. That tweet never came off her fucking site. It's still there this morning. A CNN journalist. That's not true. There was a protester shouted at Trump and was booed. Another one. It's so bad at lying. Ava Ryan is so bad at lying that even her colleagues at CNN have called her out to avoid embarrassing. Another CNN journalist, breaking, April Ryan is lying. This is a shocking development since Ryan is known for her integrity in reporting and not attention-seeking bullshit. So how did she get out of this? Reporters are re-watching the event and found a heckler in the crowd started asking questions of Trump and the heckler was booed. The heckler was escorted out the event. The boos were for the heckler. Jim Acosta, meanwhile, at the Celebration of America event, Kellyanne Conway tried to take a video of me tweeting while folks were singing God Bless America. I guess she wanted to accuse me of being unpatriotic, but she also stopped singing too to try to record me. So strange. That's actually on his feed. Somebody said, Jim, were you ignored by your parents? Did you get picked last in PE class? Were you stuffed in a locker by your peers? I mean, holy shit, you're a wussy. But April Ryan starts some shit again. Sarah Sanders gets some good blows in. But this is our bias 101. This is why they don't air it. This is why this administration hasn't done daily press briefs. Because it's no longer about getting out information like the Democrats get to do. Where Obama gets to spin and lie up there. They don't ask tough questions. They just go along with it because they're for the cause. 
But folks, it's a fucking shit show. And every one of these journalists should have the credentials pulled. I, if I was president, would pull them. You can't come in here. CNN could come in here, but Acosta and Ryan, go fuck yourself. Then we'll go to stats of the day. Josh's question and Sarah's question, uh, but in a larger, in a larger sense, evident, whether it's on his Twitter account or otherwise, uh, keeps saying things that are not borne out by the facts, whether it is the Eagles uh, thing is about an anthem or uh, we got $6 billion for opioids and getting rid of that storage that's taken over our country and the numbers are way down. Uh, we have thousands of immigration judges. And so the president keeps saying things that aren't true. And this thing with um, uh, with dictating the statement. That's a question. Sorry, Andrew. Did we get there? Why, if things that you keep saying from the podium turn out to not be true, and things the president keeps saying in a number of venues keep saying, you know, keep turning out not to be true, why should we be able to trust that the information we're getting from this is accurate, and more importantly, why should Americans be able to trust that what they hear from this White House is always the truth? Once again, um, I, I don't know how many times I have to address this, but I, I work every single day to give you accurate and up-to-date information, continue to do that. Um, frankly, I think my credibility is probably higher than the media's. In, in large part, that's because you guys spend more of your time focused on attacking the president instead of reporting I think that if you spent a little bit more time reporting the news instead of trying to tear me down, actually see that we're working hard trying to provide you good information and trying to provide that same good information to the American people. Take one last question, Stephen. Is the president aware that this is Sorry, about Stephen, police involved shootings and not about disrespecting the flag? Is the president aware Stephen, of that, Sarah, please? I understand you want to Stephen, but I'm asking, is the business, there's an underlying issue that just keeps going about disrespect of the flag and soldiers. There are black and brown soldiers that fight in the military as well who feel that taking a knee, bringing attention to police involved shootings is something that this White House should deal with. Is the president aware that taking the knee is about police-involved shootings. The president has made his position uh, crystal clear, and that it's about, I'm, about I, I let you rudely interrupt me and your colleague. Sorry, I'm going to ask that you allow me to finish my answer. I, I would be happy to answer it if you would stop talking long enough to let me do that. The president has made his position crystal clear on this topic. He feels strongly that standing for our national anthem uh, is something that we should do, something that matters to what makes our country special and unique and what sets us apart. Uh, he's not going to waver on that, and he's not going to apologize for it. And frankly, more than 70% of Americans agree with him on that matter. If you go back to what the original intent was, this has been made a political argument of which the president is not going to back down from, and he's been clear on it. Okay, Stephen, last question. April, I've addressed your question. I'm not going to continue to engage with you, Stephen. NFL is now telling people they have to stand. Will the president deal with the issue of police-involved shootings? I'm going to deal with the issue of addressing your colleague's question. It's a real question. Can you take it to the president and come back to us? Stephen, go ahead. Always happy to yield to a colleague, but let me ask you about... April, I'm anxious to get...
Yeah, I'm anxious to get your More of that your in the briefing room, April, following up and getting an answer. I absolutely applaud you, and I think all of the folks in the briefing room should do exactly what April did today. Challenge this the podium and the White House more, because they go from one reporter to the other. When they don't like the answer, they, sh they cut them off, and they move on to the next person. In April, you didn't allow it, so thank you for doing that. I'm sorry to interrupt. Thank you, thank you Don. Well, Wolf, um, you know, it was an interesting exchange. First of all, I mean, you know, we've been in that briefing room for many, many years, for decades. And strategically, uh, Sarah did not want to call on me today. And I listened to her ask, uh, calling people all around me and in the back and the front. And this isn't about some fake patriotism, about standing or some pageantry. Real patriotism is understanding what the Constitution means for all Americans and abiding by the Constitution, not doing some uh, false presentation that you pretend to be a patriot while other people are around you going to the concession stands, getting beer or fights in the stands or talking to each other with their baseball caps on. That is not real patriotism. Real patriotism is understanding that all of us are created equal and we have the choice to stand, kneel, or sit or even attend a football game. Stephen, but I'm asking, is the, this is, there's an underlying issue that just keeps going about disrespect of the flag and soldiers. There are black and brown soldiers that fight in the military as well who feel that taking a knee, bringing attention to police-involved shootings is something that this White House should deal with. Is the president aware that taking the knee is about police-involved shootings? The president has made his position uh, crystal clear and that it's about, about I, I let you rudely interrupt me and your colleagues. All white people are racist. So <laughs> I put this up because I really want any white person in the room to know up front that's what we're dealing with, that it's not going to be this coddling of white tears and what that looks like. We're not just, oh, maybe some of us have worked it out. No, you're always going to be racist, actually. So even when you're on your path to trying to figure out how to be a better human being, um, because I believe that white people are born into not being human, like that actually instead of people of color and black folks being humanized, that actually everyone is dehumanized off rip within white supremacy, that y'all are born into a life to not be human, and that's what y'all are taught to do, be demons. So in this particular way, white people are all racist. So I just want y'all to know that. Wow. That's an LGBT activist that was in a college seminar. And, you know, I put it in our stats because you always hear a lot in the media, how we need to have a conversation. And the Van Jones, the <clears throat> Al Sharptons, Joy Race Bader, Hillary Shield, Truther, anti-Semite, fucking homophobe, Reed. I gotta add a bunch of shit to her name now. Are always talking about, we need to have a conversation. It's important to talk about this. The lady that got on CNN and said that basically, you know, every Trump voters are racist. We have to have the discussion. This is the problem with the discussion. There is no discussion. Americans could put a scarlet letter on all white people, play slave reparations. Your ilk, not all African Americans, your ilk, the race hustler industry, you don't want to 
conversation. You use this to stifle dissent on everything. You got to have an ID. You want to do strip search and cavity search to give somebody a gun. But using an ID to vote is racist. It'll always be racist. You push for all these IDs on everything else, but not that. You are the racist. I don't care what anybody tells me. Every EO rep I had in the army was a racist. Every female African American woman in the army was a racist. She got preferential promotions. But she was a racist. She hated white people. There's a whole group of people that are being raised in this country to hate white people. The lady I worked with before I quit my job, she was a racist. She didn't like white people. She had some bad experiences with white people and she hated them. I've had horrible experiences with black people on this show. I've talked about them. But I don't hate all black people. That's just one person. But our society as a whole, the liberal side, takes one action and blames everybody. Trump becomes elected, everybody voted for Trump as a homophobe, xenophobe, racist, sexist. One white cop kills a black guy. All cops, even the black ones, are racist. And where did it start? Obama, bitter clingers, you didn't build that, guns and religion, the crusades, he's a community organizer, he mainstreamed the grievance industry, yet you have that fucking piece of shit, Kristen Powers going out and saying the conservatives have a grievance industry, we're all grieved all the time. Our grieves are based on reality. You base your grievance on your political motives. And your political motives is a Saul Linsky game book. Shut down dissent. Take over all institutions. Brainwash people to believe only one thing. All other opposing views. Demean it. Classify it as racist, sexist, xenophobe. And shut it down. That's... Your playbook. Even Page in Oregon. One Facebook post. Comedic meme. I'm a horrible person. I can't be your friend anymore. No opposing views. It's one thing if I was doing lynching photos. Or KKK photos. Or white, you know, white pride photos. I can understand that. But you take every grievance group, you put it in a lump, and any demeaning of them, any questioning of them, just saying, pro-choice, but with restrictions at a certain time level because it's actually a baby, I am now a sexist. It's horrible. And that's why you, you get Trump, who, by the way, is another stat of the day, Highest, second highest own party presidential approval ratings is World War II at the 500 day mark, and yet you don't hear it in the media because remember, Republicans hate them. Another stat more Republicans and Democrats pay their interns in Congress. Don't hear that in the media. 
This one from LaShane Markey, Fight for 15. By 2020, every McDonald's will use self-order kiosk. You unionize, you push it, like we talked about in that Burgerville, USA. This is what businesses do. Washington Examiner, New York City released 440 dangerous illegal immigrants over three months. Dangerous. They did serious Shit. Not speeding tickets. Cameron Gray is the reason why I have it in the stats. Because this is a stat. This should be one of the top stories in America, but the MSM, for the most part, has no interest in talking about these stunning, massive failures by Cuomo and de Blasio. Also not being talked about in the media. California stuff. California on the front line of STDs that run rampant in the USA. Just like the gay breakout, where HIV went rampant and it came from the bathhouse of San Francisco. It's happening again. Sexually transmitted disease have made an alarming resurgence in the United States, where 2016 saw a record 2 million cases of chlamydia, gonorrhea, and syphilis, including 620 cases of congenital syphilis. But California, the most populous U.S. state, stand out for willingness to tackle the crisis head on with the cases of three elements up to 45% in 2017. 30 babies were stillborn amid 300 reported cases of congenital syphilis, and it's all stemming from California. Guess that free love ain't working for you. Another one, California just made it illegal to take a shower and do laundry on the same day. A $1,000 fine if you go over your allotted 55 gallons of water per day. The utility companies are encouraged to spy on your meter. So in California, you can only have 55 gallons of water today. Buy a pool, you're fucked. Another California. Nearly half of Bay Area residents want out. Poll shows the reason why is no surprise. The idea of the Bay Area exodus is no joke and it appears to be growing. A poll released Sunday by local advocacy groups showed that 46% of the Bay Area residents surveyed said they want to move out of the area within the next few years. That number's up from 34% in 2016 and 40% last year. The survey was joint effort by the advocacy group Bay Area Council and public opinion data from the firm EMC Research. The poll affirmed uh, involved 1,000 residents. The reason for this, the urge to leave, might be pretty obvious, at least to anyone knowledgeable of California. It's just too expensive. Cost of living's 45%. Housing prices 20% were the main reasons cited among 461 residents, but also a percentage, 15%, based it off California policies. Yeah. that's That doesn't surprise me. I don't know why anybody would want to live there. I fucking hated it. I fucking hated it. New evidence. Planned Parenthood broke federal law, lied to women. Response to Congressional Panel. Recent discoveries regarding Planned Parenthood business dealings with STEM Express. Leaders from pro-life organizations pleaded for the reassignment of taxpayer dollars funding Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood's business partnership with STEM Express not only transgressed federal fetal trafficking laws, but also abused the privacy of women requesting abortions and deceitfully obtained consent for the use of the parts. Earlier this month, 
Energy Commerce Committee Select Investigative Panel uncovered contracts between Planned Parenthood and STEM Express, revealing the two have violated federal regulations regarding the sale of aborted baby parts and the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, HIPAA, of 96. These recent findings prompted leaders of pro-life organizations to send letters to the House to get rid of their federal money. Um, earlier this month, the plan, panel revealed the actual contracts between some of the largest Planned Parenthood affiliates and the country in STEM Express. These contracts, much as the one with Planned Parenthood Mar Monte, provide that Planned Parenthood will bill STEM Express $55 for every fetal organ determined in the clinic to be usable that STEM Express is able to procure. Testimonies at the April 20th hearing, the pricing of fetal tissue, already established that the partnership between Planned Parenthood and STEM Express most likely violated federal regulations. These actual contracts provide proof. The panel did not only discover violation of fetal trafficking laws. According to the letter three weeks ago, the panel spent a, sent a formal complaint to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services regarding HIPAA. Each time that an abortion clinic employee shared a medical chart with STEM Express, both violated HIPAA privacy rules. The disclosures of patients' PHI made by the abortion clinic and received by STEM Express were neither required nor permitted under HIPAA. Yeah. As the author of the letter noted, with approximately 25,000 patients seeking abortion and pregnancy tests at Planned Parenthood each year, this Planned Parenthood location alone, Planned Parenthood Mar Monte, exposed the private medical information of hundreds of thousands of women. Calling the arrangement nothing short of barbaric, the letter went on to include excerpts from emails between STEM Express and Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood provided such intimate access to STEM Express into its patients' medical records that the company could email customers from the clinic offering what fetal specimens were available to purchase that day. There will be some potentially potentials tomorrow. Would you like to be on the schedule? A STEM Express representative emailed and replied to customers' groom query, How is the pancreas forecast today? Any possible procurements? Another email on April 13, 2015. <clears throat> I also want to put in order of four normal fetal brains distributed as before. While these representatives' findings are from merely a few Planned Parenthood locations, the letter added that Select Panel discovered that such illicit behavior and prominent throughout the country with almost one in five abortion clinics selling the tissue to stomach press as of last year. The letter concluded with a plea to reassign taxpayer funding to the 13,000 federally qualified health center and rural health centers across the country. They out now outnumber Planned Parenthood clinics nearly 20 to 1. There's no need and no justification whatsoever to continue to spend over a half a billion taxpayer dollars each year on Planned Parenthood lawness and unaccountable abortion business. 20 pro-life leaders signed the plea, including Tom McCluskey of the March for Life Education and Defense Fund. Yeah. 
I want you to remember what the media said. The videos were edited. It was a hit job. California charged and found guilty one of the photographers. It was all true. Yeah. Did you see that on CNN? No. Another one. White privilege has become a religion complete with church ladies. Great article that it's a religion for the left. On the elite colleges, this is what they go with. In the ending, but who are they to tell others who have actually suffered not to forgive? Like Ivan Karmazov, their attachment to their own self-righteous indignation makes them into tyrants who would dictate to every sufferer they claim to champion. It leads to hatred and resentment, not to social justice or racial conciliation and harmony, which requires genuine contrition, forgiveness, and love. The woke demands for social justice have little in common with the difficult but necessary work of seeking real justice and reconciliation. The grace of the church and wokeness is either cheap or unobtainable. The rage of its preachers and the scolding of its church ladies, however, are all too present. It's not about justice. It's about them. I say it all the time. Liberalism, true, intersectional, progressive thought is just like a religion to these people. <clears throat> to Obama, it was his religion. He wasn't a Christian. He wasn't a Muslim. He was a progressive. And progressive thought conflicts with religion. It just does. It's its own religion. And it's pretty sad. To a music break. News. Social. Media. Nuggets.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. This, this, is, this is something, man. This is, this is our generation, man. All you people, we're all together, man. It's groovy. And dig yourselves because it's really groovy. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. PC? Politically correct. And it's not just politics, it's everything. It's what you eat, it's what you wear, and it's what you say. If you don't watch yourself, you can get in a buttload of trouble. For instance, right see these girls? Yeah. No, you don't. Those are women. You call them girls and they'll pop your figs. Save the whales. Yeah, he's in the military now. No military corner and a pretty short uh, news speech social media nuggets today, but we'll get right into our college crazy, as the music signifies. Student banned from graduation over prank to sell school on Craigslist. This is pretty funny. Um, think back to your days in high school where you had your senior pranks. This kid took it to the next letter level. Kyle Sheila, a senior at Truman High School in Independence, Missouri, is apparently a bit of a jokester. He posted an item on Craigslist offering a bargain price of $12,725 for school. It's a very funny post written like a real ad touting the property was next to Walmart for convenience and has a huger parking lot, perfect for partygoers looking for somewhere to park. Oh, and he said the building has a bigger than normal dining room, the massive cafeteria. It's an actual ad. It's hilarious. Um, other people are going to release live mice, or you know, building a beach in the front lobby area, and I thought, let's do something more laid back, so I just decided to post a school for sale. While it was all just a goof, the school district wasn't laughing and banned Shield from walk- taking part in the school's graduation. The independent school district took issues with Kylan's reaction for the sale, which he wrote was due to the loss of students coming up. I decided to say the reason we're selling this is because of the loss of students because the senior class is graduating. On Wednesday, Shield, who told Fox 4 that he had a 3.9 GPA, was notified that he was suspended for the remainder of the school and would not walk in the graduation. A three-day suspension, sure, but denying me the ability to walk, that's a lifetime moment. I think they're overreacting. He went and apologized and tried to make things right. In return, they gave him the harshest punishment possible, his mom said. They tried to relate it back to all the recent school shootings and everything. They tried to take tying it back to that, but I don't see how it was a threat at all. That's ridiculous. See, that's the stupid shit. Pop-tart pistols and dumb shit like that. These people are fucking horrible. Their response, we take student safety very seriously and appreciate the students and parents who brought this to our attention. Out of an abundance of caution, administrators and police investigated and determined it was not a credible threat. The student makes a real or implied threat, whether it's seen credible or not, will face discipline. Due to the heightened concern nationally with school violence, we have extra police officers remaining for the school year. We'll have additional officers at graduations for all other high schools. The ACLU of Missouri has since filed a lawsuit against the school district attending the harsh punishment violated Shields for free speech. Lack of students because of graduation is now construed into school shooting. Are you fucking serious? 
Jesus Christ, you people. You just, you know, liberals just have no common sense. New Columbia journalism faculty member gave 40 times to Hillary Clinton. Money talks, and journalism is no exception. On Monday, Columbia Journalism School announced that digital media expert Raju Narsetti will serve as full-time faculty member in two capacities, Professor of Professional Practice and Director of Knight Baggett Fellowship in Economics and Business Journalism. But neither he nor the Columbia Journalism School disclosed its unprecedented number of political donations to Hillary Clinton while working in the media. According to the Center for Responsive Politics, Naju Narsetti donated 40 times to former Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton from 2015 to 2016 while at News Corp. And for the 2016-17 while at Gizmodo, he gave three times the Political Action Committee Emily List, which promotes Democratic female abortion supporting running for office. Those donations combined to add up to $2,679 for Clinton and 500 bucks for Emily List. But the frequency of the Clinton donation was unusual. 36 times from April 8th to November 6th, 2016, when Clinton recently donned a Russian hat during an event. Yale at Yale, Narsetti tweeted, "Love the Russia hat bit, Hillary." Prior to the new position, Narsetti was News Corp's senior vice president of strategy and then chief executive of Gizmodo Media Group. He previously worked as a managing editor for WAPO and then as the deputy managing editor for Wall Street Journal, beginning in 2012. At Columbia, he will play particular attention to business journalism, media entrepreneurship, entrepreneur, fuck it, I can't read the day, and the business of journalism, in addition to overseeing one of the most sought-after business journalism fellowships in the country. Narsetti expressed that he was delighted to join the journalism faculty and lead the Knight Baggett Fellowship Program. Both business journalism and business of journalism are facing unprecedented uncertainty and um, offer a unique opportunity to explore innovative ways to address these hardships. I guarantee if you opened up the roles of every news department, it's the same thing. But once again, how do you donate 36 times to a candidate and it's legal? A sad fact, and I, I think it's social media, college freshmen self-report of psychological disorders doubled since 2020, 2020, 2010. You can't tell me 20 hours a week of milk toast make work is so stressful that it causes two-thirds of college students to feel overwhelmingly anxious. And I think it's social media. I just do. That and all the SJW rules that they got to live by. I mean, they make the rules, they got to live by the rules. Rutger professor goes on disturbing rant against white children and their parents. Professor at Rutgers has attracted attention for disturbing racist rant. Of course, the great irony, as you may notice when you see his profane rant as it was captured on Facebook by Daily Caller, is that James Livingston himself is white. But as we've learned in the past week with Samantha B, being a female doesn't stop you from being raging race sexist against other females you don't like. So why should it stop Livingston from saying something racist about whites? 
Livingston was at Harlem restaurant at frequent, according to the Blaze. He was apparently annoyed by the little Caucasian assholes brought in by white parents who apparently don't belong in the historically black New York City neighborhood. <clears throat> okay, officially, I now hate white people, he wrote. I am a white, I am a white people, for God's sake. But can we keep them, us, out of my neighborhood? I just went to Harlem Shake on 124 in Lenox for a classic burger to go. That would be my dinner, and the place is overrun with little Caucasian assholes who know their parents will approve of anything they do. Slide around the floor, you little shitheads. Sing loudly, you moron. Do what you want. Nobody here is going to restrict your right to be white. I hereby resign from my race. Fuck these people. Yeah, I know it's about access to my dinner. Fuck you too. Ah, gratuitous academic-based anti-white racism and expletive lace restaurant rants. It's like Manhattan distilled down into a few cents. If you want to see Livingston rant, you can go to his fucking place and hear it. But, um, mm. In fact, Livingston took the opportunity in a subsequent Facebook post clarifying why his original post wasn't offensive. I don't get the Facebook threat thing against me because as far as I could tell, my page is intact, including my earnest, angry, ridiculous resignation from white race. As if I could, called Noel Engate, he added, a name checking the historian who proposed abolishing the concept of whiteness in order to eliminate white privilege. Who am I kidding? The Facebook algorithm conjoins the word race and hate and designates origin, which would be as a problem, okay? God know I am, but not in this regard. I just don't want little Caucasians overrunning my life as they did last night. Please, God, remand them to the suburbs where they and their parents can colonize every restaurant, all the white pretending that the idiotic indulgence of their privilege signifies cosmopolitan, you know, as in sophisticated European commitments. That doesn't even make sense. I don't understand fucking liberals. Jesus. Professor details a barrage of microaggressions from white colleagues. Oh, this is going to be good. An English professor at Marquette recently recounted a day that felt like a constant barrage of microaggressions as part of her ongoing diary of everyday microaggressions that she uses to see past her own whiteness. Beth Godby blasts white colleagues for such transgressions. Some years ago, I began recording everyday microaggressions towards learning to recognize, recognize racism, which is so often coded and which whiteness has taught me not to see. Professor Godby, an assistant professor of English of Marquette, writes in a May 3rd post on her personal blog, Heart, Head, Hands. Uh, Godby explains that the idea emerged from conversations with colleagues of color related that white colleagues often failed to believe their experiences, leading her to devise the project as meaning of countering epistemic injustice which she defines as the problem of prejudice resulting in marginalized people not being believed about their own experience. For context, Godby links to a 2017 post in which notes that microaggressions can take one of three forms, verbal, nonverbal attack, insulting messages, rudeness, or other insensitivities, a micro-insult, micro and interactions or communications that exclude, high, make invisible, or otherwise invalidate people or their experience. Micro-invalidations. It is coded. <laughs> I'm not reading the rest. The, the key thing on this is coded. I love that. That's the new term for 
It's not really racism, but we're going to call you a racist anyway. It's coded. It's all coded. Jesus Christ. UW renames LGBT Center to avoid binaries. It was named after a woman of LGBTQEIEIO, but that is gendered. So we took it out, and now it's just going to be called the Gender and Sexuality Campus Center. That's not the best one. Wait for my lighter fare. I got one that just, oh, sweet Jesus. Let's go to the crazy, crazy. HuffPo asserts Islam and LGBT communities go great together, as I prefaced in our intro. Here's a dilemma for liberals in the media. The only religion you ever actively defend is the only religion whose adherents toss gays off roofs. For the very few attempts to reconcile these contradictory facts are generally embarrassing, and they are embarrassed. Take the June 5th HuffPost video entitled, Being Queer and Muslim is Possible, and This Woman is Proof. The video was an interview with Wazina Zondan, a New York-raised Afghan woman who is both Muslim and lesbian. According to the site, she teaches sex education and speaks about the intersection of homophobia and Islamophobia. Gotta have intersections and everything. The point of the video was to show by her example that Islam and LGBTQEIAO movements are compatible. They say the first step to recover is admitting there's a problem, so it's encouraging that HuffPost is acknowledging friction between Islam and queerness. Alas, the proof that Islam and gay rights are reconcilable is pretty thin. One story about one woman who grew up in a non-Islamic state doesn't disprove evidence to the contrary. Back in 2015, CBS News posted a story based on the testimonies of several gay men from the Middle East in which they described the persecution homosexuals underwent under the hands of ISIS. According to the article, ISIS reserves one of its most brutal methods of killing for suspected homosexuals um, and that the militant group bases its punishment on one account in which Muhammad reported reportedly said gays should be thrown from t- tremendous heights. Then stone. Double down. Gra- granted, ISIS is notoriously radical, but this brutal mistreatment of homosexuals is documented as part of a family culture in Islamic countries as well. Earlier this year, BBC News posted an article about Chechen persecution of gays in which they quoted the spokesman Mr. Kadroff The Chechen leader is saying, even if such people existed in Chechnya, their own relatives would simply send them to a place from which they would never return. In another article in 2016, WAPO analyzed 10 countries, including Iran, Afghanistan, Qatar, in which homosexual activity is punishable by death under law. All the countries were either Islamic states or had a heavy Islamic population. Yet, because Zondran has made it to age 35 in New York... And decidedly liberal, Huppo thinks that her one example overrides the almost innumerable examples of homosexual persecutions by Muslims in Islamic countries outside the United States. Ironically, Zondan claims that she'd never known somebody who was 25 and over from my family, from my background, living this permutation of identity. Perhaps that is because people with their permutation of identity are persecuted and sometimes kill the name of their religion. The Huffington Post is a habit of trying to abrasively force the LGBTQ way of thinking on religious beliefs. Just yesterday, it ran an article haranguing Christians to embrace the LGBT movement as part of their faith. And I read that article. It's fucking comical. 
Um, the sad thing is, if, if Daily Caller or The Blaze went out on a college campus and asked actual questions of kids that are liberal about what happens to gays in the Middle East, they don't know this because the media crushes it. You know, this article cites a few articles, but they don't talk about what Muslims do to gay people. Because if they did that, it would make the whole LGBT movement in America look comical at best. Because even Andrew Shepard, the one case they have of a gay beating that went viral and was all over the news, his gay lover has proved that it's not even true. It was a bad drug deal. It had nothing to do with being gay. Comic to HuffPost. Pride parades not outrageous enough. Oh, really? Pride parades are too mainstreaming. Leah Delari, a comedian uh, uh, and star of Orange is a New Black, recently said to HuffPo, if you've ever been to, or seen a photo of a pride parade, the sight is truly frightening one. Half-naked guys in jock straps and men walking around in drag. Delaria believes the gay pride parade should be more outrageous and more in your face. We are told that the only difference between gay and straight is who they love. How... We are all the same. That's how America was sold gay marriage. Deloria thinks instead they should be celebrating who we are and fighting for our right instead of licking straight ass. The notion that someone could identify as gay and believes that they are just like everyone else infuriates her. She wants more drag, more nudity, and she wants everyone to see it. She doesn't care that some people may have reservations about the kids seeing half-naked men dancing in the street. Mm-hmm. Instead, she stated that if you don't want to show your kids who we are, then you need to examine your internalized homophobia. There's nothing wrong with somebody's ass hanging out of their chaps. Indoctrinating them young and what would be considered in other contexts, child abuse. She wants corporate sponsors to go away unless they f- the float from Citibank and the float from Starbucks says, fuck Trump. To either get rid of the awful Christian protesters or surround them with huge billboards so you can't see their signs or see them. And then we should pummel them by playing Barbara Streisand's Hello Dolly as loud as it can be played. Her dream pride would be modeling after Sydney Pride where all of the banks' ATMs would be gay TMs covered in rhinestones and sequins with dyke parties and drag. Pushing the agenda is the main goal here, not just equal rights. Hmm. Okay. Therapist tells WAPO women aren't having kids because of Trump. (laughs) Oh my God, it's a disease. On May 31st, WAPO weighed in on child-free life. Why so many American women are deciding not to have kids. Inside the piece, columnist Petula Dvorak outlined multiple reasons, including Trump. Her piece on the recent report by the National Center of Health Studies that showed sinking U.S. births. In 2017, only 3.8 million babies were born, she wrote. Lowest numbers of three decades. There are plenty of reasons. From the wage gap to paid leave for new parents. And then there's Trump. What about the Trump effect, she asked. According to marriage and female therapist Anne Devaneman, it's affecting the birth rate. I talked to one therapist in Left Coast, California, who specialized in helping women decide whether they want to become mothers. She said a potential client canceled her spot in class right after the election. Davidman remembered the woman leaving a message 
When Trump was elected, I decided I didn't need your class to decide. She's not alone, according to Dorvac. David Men has heard lots of versions of that. That's because David Men has access to hundreds of women struggling with motherhood as a motherhood clarity mentor online. In a 2017 blog, David Men revealed that she herself is delighted, overjoyed, really, that I do not have a child. For undecided women, she suggests go deep inside and ask two questions. Do you want to be a mom, and do you want to raise a child, or do you want to contribute to the next generation? This is the abortion concept for women. They're selfish. They don't want to take care of anything other than themselves. Or their politics are so far skewed that this world is horrible for kids because not everybody's gay. Even though they don't realize if everybody was gay, you wouldn't have kids. But whatever. Okay. Cosmopolitan. My husband loves leaving fruit in my vagina all day so he can eat it later. That's an article in Cosmo. Yeah. Logo, don't like gay agenda? Science says you're stupid. Yeah, this is an article. Here's a newsflash for conservatives. Scientists in Australia have completed a recent study showing that people with an anti-gay bias tend to exist at a lower end of the intelligence spectrum. In other words, if you're not down with gay and everyone, everything that goes with it, not only are you less open-minded, but you're a big idiot. Yeah. Uh, here it goes. It published a very official titled piece on Tuesday. Study, people with anti-gay bias have lower intelligence. Um, the article presented a study conducted by social scientists at the University of Queensland that examined the link between cognitive ability and prejudice against same sex, utilizing a sample of 11,000 people. Said scientists consulted three cognitive tests, the National Adult Reading Test, the symbols digit modulation test and the backward digit span test and found that a higher number of those who scored low on all three tended to disagree with the statement homosexual couples should have the same rights as heterosexuals. Well, if that's not a loaded question for official scientific study, what on earth is? The study also found that the strongest correlation of prejudice and lower intelligence was found in verbal ability category. Variables such as participants' social, economic, and educational backgrounds were taken into consideration and the results were still conclusive. There's no way around it. If you're anti-gay conservative, you're an ignoramus. Jesus fucking Christ. Okay. LGBT Pride Month promo deemed transphobic for the dumbest of reasons. And I closed the gay, not gay bashing, but the gay stories with this one. Sometimes you're not gay enough, I guess. I, I don't know. The beauty box brand Ispy celebrated Pride Month in a way that is, has some leftists saying so last week because what was, was woke is now a patriarchal conspiracy. Over the weekend, the beauty box company, which boasted more than 2.5 million prescriber, subscribers in 2017, got slapped with the label transphobic for putting out a video celebrating LGBT pride while tactically acknowledging that transgender women may not actually be real women, a sentiment that both science and common sense holds to be true. In the video, beauty vlogger Cassandra Bankston discussed her attraction to women by highlighting an actual difference between trans women and authentic women, according to Mick. 
I'm attracted to women, Banks to said in the video. And there's definitely a spectrum between trans women, between authentic cisgendered women, and everything in between. But, at the same time, I believe that love is beauty, and I could find that in many different places. Cries of Hersey and Burn Witch immediately reverberated through the halls of social media because Bankston dared to let her mouth utter the logical workings of her neurons. A tranny. So Ipsy published a video today featuring several of my friends and Sincerely Class 11 who decided to describe her attraction to women as spectrum between trans women and authentic cisgender women. I wanted to unpack a few things and offer my opinion on this. Who man? This Ipsy snafu is a great example of why brands should employ and work alongside queer people instead of just profiting off them for one month a year. When when the negativity began heating up on Facebook, Ispy started deleting comments and even told one user, we hear what you're saying, but ask that you respect how our creators choose to identify themselves. Ispy is digging in on supporting the transphobia in their pride video. They want us to respect someone's identity as transphobe, but not respect trans women. Unsubscribe from them. This is unacceptable. So Ipsy posted a transmissionic video for Pride Month referring to trans women and authentic cisgender women, and now they're deleting Facebook comments from trans folks calling them out on it. And even worse, it's an even worse look than your beige as fuck makeup. The critic were relentless, and Bankston was eventually forced to retract her statement, both on video and Facebook. She did the perp walk. I want to make it clear as I can that I do not believe that cis women are more authentic than trans women, or that trans women are in any way inferior. As a lesbian, I want to express my love for women, and in wanting to publicly include trans women in the conversation, I accidentally created a divide. I hurt people, and I'm so sorry. And then Ipsy took the video down. Let's get it through your head, people. You can make your dick a canoe, but it's not a a real vagina. I'm sorry. You can make your vagina a fucking cock, but it's not going to be a real cock. It's not. And a guy that becomes a girl still looks like a guy. doesn't matter how much plastic surgery you do. I'm sorry. It's obvious. It's just obvious. This... This whole cis-normative trans argument in the, the left sphere cracks me up because going off the, it's a religion, because it is, you people can't even work your shit out, but you accept the whole world embrace your fucking belief structure and your 95 fucking pronouns and get butt hurt when you don't, when we don't adhere to them because we don't fucking know them because you keep changing them. And yet you amongst yourself fight all the time. Women's March, no pro-life, and no these cis-gendered pieces of shit. Guys are fucking wahoos. Do some crime stuff. Women admits to shooting, killing husband for beating family cat. Let that one sit on its own. Pure animal cruelty. Second fake vet turns himself in after deadly dog neutering. Guy started his own vet clinic and he wasn't even qualified. This one's in the cool fucking category. Crayfish cut off own claw to escape being bowled alive in a bowl of soup. And they put him in an aquarium. Dude chopped his arm off so he can escape. <laughs> That's fucking pretty badass. Um, I'd let him live also. And then 
My favorite article uh, of this whole podcast is at the end. And it is the Starbucks Barista Re-Education Camp they just did. Here's the article. Starbucks Barista reflect on the company's anti-cop propaganda disguised as anti-bias training. On Tuesday, Starbucks closed their store across the nation to hold an anti-bias training after Dante Robinson and Rashawn Nelson, two black men, were arrested for loitering at a Philadelphia store. Multiple baristas attended the training told Philadelphia Magazine that the company beat around the bush when discussing racial issues. I was really disappointed when I walked out of there because I was expecting so much more, a black woman said. According to the woman, barista, baristas, baristas, sorry, were given a 68-page guide where they were asked to respond to writing prompts with various scenarios. I felt like we were off task the entire time because we didn't reflect on the situation itself, this black woman said, referring to the incident involving Robinson Nelson. The training material focused a lot on police brutality, which had nothing to do with the incident that happened. Another attendee, a 27-year-old Latino, see this this author of this article is very smart. If you got white people, it would be just, just oh, blow that shit off, they're racist. Um, his pseudonym is Jamie. Said the executive leading the session came close to talking about the incident only when attendees asked about it. For some participants, the most upsetting aspect of the training was focused on police brutality. Here's what the Philadelphia Magazine reported. The video of cops knocking people down and fighting people really disturbing, the black woman said. I told them I don't like the video, and they told me they understood and that I was open to give my opinion. What does watching a video about police brutality have to do with the situation that happened, Tina said. She kept asking herself, this is a black woman. I wasn't going to use her name, but I guess I fucked that up. They went too deep into it and missed the point all the same. At one point, said Jammy, Jimmy, whatever, a girl at my table actually had to get up and leave because of video after video they showed black people being assaulted by police or black people being verbally assaulted or white people being racially biased towards people of color. It offended her. She left after that. On top of it, employees of color felt uncomfortable by the videos they were forced to watch. By the end of it, I was very exhausted. These are conversations I don't ever have at work, Jamie Prater, a biracial shift supervisor at a Starbucks in Rancho Cougamonga, California. I love that name, Rancho Cougamonga. Told the Wall Street Journal, I don't think Starbucks realized how uncomfortable it would be for people of color to have to watch these videos and talk about this, but sometimes we need to be uncomfortable. According to Cordell Lewis, a manager in Missouri, there were baristas who felt left out. I have trans partners and Philippe, Philippine partners, and they were like, what about me? And as we go out to our lighter fare, oh yeah, I got the video, which proves Starbucks is always what I said it was, a fucking prog organization. Dear Starbucks partners, I'm Stanley Nelson, a documentary filmmaker. My films are about race, America, and the decades-long struggle for all people to be treated as equals in public spaces. Our town squares, our stores, our fields, our parks, our pools, our restaurants. I made this film to help us understand this important struggle in our country so we can go forward together. 
When I go into stores, sometimes I get followed, <laughs> which is really annoying, and it just gives me like it just makes me uncomfortable, and sometimes I get anxiety, so I have to leave. Especially being a teen of color, they assume that you're doing something bad. I feel like I'm disturbing people by just being there. Like people feel uncomfortable when I walk in. I guess I've kind of become numb to it after so many years. Like this is just my life, and it's just something that I've gotten used to. Unfortunately, I think all of us make that choice at some point of, am I going to take the burden of this interaction being comfortable, or am I going to say you take the burden of this interaction being comfortable? Because what I really want is a sandwich. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to fight. I'm hungry. Right? I don't want to get into this with you, and I'm really not here to teach you this. But other times, it's like, okay, wait a minute. <laughs> Lesson time. Discrimination against African Americans in public spaces has a long history. In the 1960s, black and white students trying to desegregate buses were firebombed. Black patrons were routinely denied service in restaurants and hotels. I'm sorry, our management does not allow us to serve here. And civil rights workers were dragged from lunch counters, spat upon, and beaten. We're willing to be beaten for democracy, and you misuse democracy. The right to be respected in public spaces was at the heart of the civil rights movement. We begging them for something. We ain't begging for nothing. We telling them what is ours right now. The freedom movement of the 1950s and 60s insisted that the United States live up to its constitution and allow equal access for all. Finally, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 was passed outlawing discrimination in public spaces. But changing the law doesn't always change reality. And being allowed in doesn't always mean being welcomed. To be welcomed as a customer means that not only do I allow you in, but it means that I'm glad you're here. I, I want to serve you. I want your business. And I don't draw distinctions between you and other customers in terms of your value. But it's time we talk about what it means to not be welcomed as an American citizen. It's not like I can mute my actual physical blackness, right? So I just assume that people see a particular thing when they see the color of my skin. So everything else has to be like perfect and clean and as blended in as possible is really just an arsenal of different masks, you know? Um, and it happens every time I, every time I leave my house. When I leave my house, regardless of where I'm going, the, I'm just leaving my house, just walking out the door. I don't, I'm not walking out the door thinking, what kind of hurdle am I going to run into today? What kind of way am I going to be judged? I walk out a free man. I just do my thing. 
I have to make sure that I have given enough space between myself and another patron or another uh, commuter on the train, just ensure that I'm not making someone uncomfortable. I have to make sure that my hands are visible when I walk into certain places so they make sure I don't not stealing. Um, I try to make sure I make eye contact with people who may or may not be security or managerial staff, just to ensure that, you know, I'm not here to hide anything. Uh, I watch my tone to make sure that I don't come off as threatening. Just leaving the house some days, you know, it's, it's sometimes just keep you at home and just keep you away from everything. For more than 50 years, equal treatment has been the law. Yet, as we know from cell phone videos, the nightly news, and maybe our own experience, we still have a long way to go. Why are you following? Watch this. You can follow me around the store the whole time. There she goes, she thinks I'm stealing. Your card is fake. You're going to jail. That's what I kept hearing. Unless you're spending money uh-huh. with a week. Oh, we not, I'm not spending money because uh, I'm black? Oh, oh. You've been warned. Your manager does not like black people, honey. Yeah. Oh, my God. No, this is wrong. Oh, my God. Yeah. We just need to recognize that black people are navigating the public space differently than white people, that women are navigating the public space differently than men, and not use the shortcut that has been wired into your brain because of the society that we live in, that tells you when you see me, you should be nervous or you should be worried. It brought me such despair to the day I recognized I had to explain this to my son. That he was gonna, that, that this muddy river of racism, he was still gonna have to walk through it. We hadn't dammed it. We hadn't dried it up. It was still there for him to go through. And I've got to somehow try to tell him, okay, off you go. The society I wanna see is I wanna be able to walk out the house just as free feeling as that white guy who said he doesn't worry about a thing when he walks out the door. I wanna have that same expectation. Today, discrimination is against the law. It's the people and the systems that support our communities that must follow suit. No one's going to do it for us. What can you do to make our schools, our parks, our stores, our restaurants as welcoming and as inclusive as they can be? What kind of country do we want to live in? Who do we want to be? Yeah, that that's pretty fucked up. That that, that d- doesn't surprise me, but that's pretty fucked up. That that's your training. Sorry, I had to get a drink. I didn't think I was going to take that big of a drink. Um, the funny thing about it is, they've even fired their CEO over this. They are so bending to the prog world that they took an incident, which wasn't an incident, bowed to it, freaked the fuck out, and now are pushing, basically, they're pushing um, hate. You know, they're pushing hate. That's what they're doing. And their hate is white people, cops. 
That, that's just fucking pathetic. I had a lighter fare, but this podcast went really long, so I'm gonna, br- I'm not gonna play the soundbite. I'm gonna postpone it to the next podcast. And it's Ranger Up Wrestling Day and two more segments of the Bad News Network. So I'll just add to it and play a couple Bad News Networks, which are really good. And we'll just stick to my second favorite article of this whole podcast as we close out. And this is real. And this kind of paraphrases everything we talked about, the social justice craziness. Jennifer Daniel is tweeting this. She works for Google. There's big talk about inclusion and diversity at Google. Of course, she's talking about the social justice warrior stuff. If we all remember, this is about, for us, normal Americans, about how the white guy stepped out about how crazy they are on campus and that people that aren't even qualified to get jobs is because they have the right race. You know, that that's the stuff we talk about. Okay, I digress. So if you need any evidence of Google is making this a priority, may I direct your attention to the salad emoji. We remove the egg in the Android P Beta 2 salad to make it more inclusive to a vegan salad. If you look at the emojis, there's a piece of egg on the salad. If you blow it up and use a magnifying glass or have a huge fucking phone or I don't even know how you'd even see it there. And they took it out because they didn't want to exclude vegans. I want that to sit for a second. That these people that basically have carte blanche to fire TV personalities uh, dox people and make them lose their careers. All the crazy stuff we talk about. They were offended by an emoji that had an egg on it. Because vegans don't eat eggs. Stephen Miller had a funny tweet on this. Your industry can burn. I'll approach you professionally, as I do every activity. But how dare you? You tiny souls. You malign... Malignant professionals. How dare you treat anyone this way? You'll hear from me, goddamn you. And a bunch of people like me. How fucked up are you? So SJW that a fucking emoji insulted you. How? I, I rest my case. And this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please feel free to share this with family and friends. Send comments by email at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. FOP Podcast at gmail.com. You can get this show on SoundCloud, Podcast Addict, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, and Stitcher. Remember to check out the Flyover Politic webpage at F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. FOP Podcast.com. It's a theme. There you'll see links to feeds for the show links to our Facebook page, and email us. There you'll also see a link to every episode on the episode release page and my blog on the blog page. Our next podcast, I'm going to shoot for Tuesday, and Tuesday would be the uh, 12th of June, year of our Lord, 2018, since we've done two this week. I'll give a couple days, try to get something up. Hopefully not as extensive and long as this one, and maybe just a single subject. I hope you have a great weekend. Me and the wife are junking. 
Got to hit a couple big, large garage sales in the south. They have like Highway 25 garage sales, like 100 miles. It's going to be fun. Um, we're going to hit that one in East Tennessee and do a junk fest someplace else and spend some quality time together. Remember, as usual, disconnect from all your devices. Don't give the yeah yeahs. Actually give your loved ones your unadulterated attention. And if you were offended by the egg and the salad, go seek professional help. As always, thank you all for listening to this podcast and take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Remember to check out our website at foppodcast.com. And remember, it's a short ride. Make every day count.